This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Marissa. Hello, I'm Evan. And we're going to talk about Revival by Stephen King, first published in 2014, I believe. This was Evan's idea. He kept pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And I'm like, it's a long Stephen King book. I don't know. But um, you were saying that it was connected to uh, Lovecraft and uh, and maybe well, Mackin as well. Let's read the dedication to this. Oh, yeah. When I, when I first came across this book, uh, I, was, I was already in Taiwan at that point, And I saw it at the book. And I was starting to read. You know, go through and read all the Stephen King books, but I haven't. I, I hadn't read this one, but I opened it up and I read the dedication, and I'm like, "Oh, I was already seduced from before." But you know, I guess I'll buy this one right away. So here's what the dedication is: This book is for some of the people who built my house: Mary Shelley, Bram Stoker, H.P. Lovecraft, Clark Ashton Smith, Donald Wandry, Fritz Lieber, August Erlath, Shirley Jackson, Robert Block, Peter Straub, and Arthur Mackin, who short novel the great god pan has haunted me all my life so it's pretty good um uh i want to just decode some of the people who are i think literally responsible for this particular book rather than building his house um mary shelley there's obviously some connection there although i don't think it's as strong as um many people would think Bram Stoker. I think it's more the the, the, the movie of course. representation. Of yes, thing. Bram Stoker. Um, although there's some there's there are some book stuff in there too. Bram Stoker, I don't think has very much involved here. Lovecraft does uh, quite a bit, I think. Clark Ashton Smith, sadly, no. Donald Wandry, um, because of Arkham House, yes, but not really. Other than that, Fritz Leiber, I don't know of any connection here. August Derleth. Again, because of Arkham House and publishing Lovecraft. But other than that, nothing. Shirley Jackson. I don't think that this particular book is super Shirley Jackson, although I think King is influenced by them. Oh, it's definitely his early career. That's definitely a big person. Yeah. Robert Block, um, The Vermis Mysterious, is his creation under uh, Mm -hmm. a different title with Lovecraft naming it uh, the Latin, fake Latin title. Um, Peter Straub. Now, that's an interesting case because I, I do think King and Straub are very similar, but I haven't read enough of Straub to say if there's something in here I'm missing. Yeah, I've only read the collaborations. I've read some of his other stuff, well, and he's stories. good. Like and Straub's, uh, he's similar. He's, he's got a similar, um, works the psychological horror, uh, mindset really well. And Arthur Mackin, who short novel The Great God Pan has haunted my, me in my whole life. Um, that's pretty strong. I think King is slightly misremembering what that book has in it because <laughs> we did that book not that long ago and it, I don't think anybody's brought back to life. And I believe he thinks that there was. I don't remember anybody being brought back to life in that. There is. Yeah, defi- but I, I do think the, like, where, where that. The Mad Scientist and the Great God Pan. Is it the beginning of the novel? Is where Jacob is at the end of Revival? Yes, yes. It, it, so, uh, of all of the things that are mentioned on this list, the strongest, I think, is the Great God Pan, um, especially for the revelation of what's beyond the veil, right? 
Um, and then I think the Mary Shelley influence is, is absolutely there, especially, but I also think he, he's planting the seeds and then they don't, those seeds don't fully harvest or come to grow because his, his, um, family and the death of, of, uh, the Reverend's family, um, are inspired by, so, Really, I guess for it to be more Shelley than Mackin, we'd have to have, uh, the Reverend be the, um, the pastor be the, uh, the viewpoint character. Mm-hmm. And then I think it would be yeah, much I don't think stronger. I would work very well. We need the outside perspective so we can I, I agree with what you, Paul. actually doing and why he's doing it. But it takes forever. <laughs> this book is. <laughs> Is this, bo- this book? But I mean, this this book is kind of like it kind of teases the. I guess cosmic horror is what the word going. It teases the cosmic horror. It is cosmic for horror for a long, long time, and it only gets there in the end, except for one little bit where we get kind of like a preview of what's on the other side. It is. It is a very long tease. Well, the the cosmic horror is that he doesn't put on this list, though. And who's that? I'm surprised because it's. I'm, I'm not sure that's why he chose the name, but but Jacobs, Monkey's Paw is actually mentioned. In oh that. yes, um, yeah. Actually, there was, uh, and he says August Heat by uh, um, W. F. Harvey. He's thinking of August Heat, or and he's actually thinking of the Monkey's Paw when the woman comes back to the door. You know, I'm worried my wife's gonna. Uh, it's from the dream stuff, right? There's also a Guy de Maupassant story that's very similar to that. Um, so uh, I think there's there's something important going on with that connection to the great god Pan, but um, I was thinking a lot about a story I just did a show on, um, a very obscure story uh, by. Uh, He's so obscure. Uh, Edward D. Hoke, H-O-C-H. Have you, any, anybody ever heard of him? It does nope. not sound familiar. Yeah, yeah. So the reason you probably haven't heard of him is, first of all, he wrote short stories almost exclusively. Um, he wrote almost a thousand of them. And he was almost always writing for mystery magazines. But uh, one of Stephen King's early publications uh, was in a magazine that Hoke also wrote for, I think it's Startling Mystery Stories, um, and that which was published by a magazine company called Health and Knowledge. Um, but basically it was, uh, it was reprints and new stories of the mysteries of the kind we have in the Vermis mysteries, right? The mysteries of the worm, in the sense that they are um, religious-style mysteries, what's beyond the veil, uh, we also get that in famous fantastic mysteries. There's no like whodunits in there. It's all, it's all like, what the heck is going on? Is reality as we think it is or not? Right. And th- those are mostly reprints of what we would call weird fiction before people were calling it that. Uh, be- even before weird tales, they were, you know, from really early. So this Edward D. Hoke story is, um, terrific. It's only like 12 minutes or something to read. And it has a lot of what's going on in here. It's about a guy returning to his childhood farmstead, a farmstead where 
he wants to confront the the face and this the name of the story Marissa the faceless thing that murdered his mm-hmm. sister um he had taken her out to uh, a little cave uh that he had dug or had been he doesn't it's it's when he was very young like 6 years old like in this story right um he had dug or had been hanging out with in the mud um he had taken his sister out to this edge of this uh lot near their house and she had drowned the next day uh they found her body and he was haunted his whole life by this and here he is as an old man in his 60s coming back to this place and he sees the old house and it's collapsed just like in this story right there's that the collapsing house and there he sees an old woman and the old woman says oh your buddy that's what his sister used to call him buddy is we don't know the character's name we just know that his sister called him buddy and she says and why have you come back and he says uh just need to look around the old place you know he's lying to her and the woman escorts him to the place where he wants to confront the monster the faceless thing <clears throat> she leaves him outside he goes in he calls it forth and he says you know you come out i'm going to i'm going to kill you i hate you you've ruined my life and the thing starts bubbling up out of the darkness in, in the mud of the earth in this pool and it rises up and he sees it and then it says rest now and then he goes out of the cave and he walks back and sees the woman and she says would you like to go have some tea that's the whole story hmm. super powerful and it does a lot of what's going on in here it's this this the horror of of childhood um becomes like a a life scar right and in reading that story we end up thinking like i'm pretty sure he he thinks he killed her right rather there was no faceless thing he was the one that killed her and he's had this guilt inside of him his whole life and that old woman he meets is either not there his sister's ghost or whatever and he can forgive himself now it's like wow that's super powerful and it's only like i say 12 minutes to read this is 14 hours i'm not saying it's a bad book i'm just saying he he takes his time setting the stage it's all worth the journey i would say but the fact that one one is about a personal the this faceless thing is about a personal horror that someone did to someone else and having to live with that whereas this has that but the reaction of the pastor to the death of his kids is the cosmic horror at the beginning of the story his kid and his wife his kid and his wife yeah is the the co- the cosmic horror there of him giving that infamous uh, speech? What what do they call it in the church? The terrible sermon. The sermon, right? Uh, where he says um, it's all a lie. There's uh, evil is in the world, and we're all lying to ourselves. And I've been lying to you, 
and he has that what people would call a crisis of faith, <laughs> which is actually like a, a revelation of the reality of the earth. Right. So that when we finally get the the visions at the end of what's beyond the veil, um, it's been well set up with the ants and such appearing at important times and all the connections, the human connections that this character makes, you know, with with the pastor and his his lovers and his family. It's all beautiful. And then it has that that downer ending that I think almost perfectly works, but there's a little bit I'm a, a little I have a little I want to talk to you guys about. So that's my opening argument. What do you think? Yeah, I want to hear what the others think because obviously of this uh, novel. This is the first time I, I did the audio. I, I just read it mm-hmm. uh, old fashioned style when I when I first got it. I didn't have access to the audio book then and. And I enjoyed every bit of it, except there's a few moments. I, you know, some of the band stuff. I found the fan stuff. But it's not much. When I was thinking about it this time, it really is not that much of the 14 hours is band, band and music. But I kept thinking of Murder in the Gun Room. Mm. When I say band stuff, like I'm learning more about music and chords than I ever knew in my life. Yeah, listening, listening to this guy learn how to play music. All guitarists uh, have a limp fish handshake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like what? <laughs> what do I don't know. I don't know how to. It's just the accuracy of this. I, I mean, I, I, I do know it's long, Jesse, but this is something King always does. Is he, he, he spends so much time like putting your brain and mm-hmm. the character's brains, you know, yeah. so you, you really know these people. Mm-hmm. This is part of his gig. This is actually a pretty short novel. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate that, too. I, I know that he yeah. can write much longer than this. I think it's a it's pretty good. What do you what do you think, Paul? I, 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 I liked it. I think I see your point about the ending. I almost feel like in some ways that at not would not would not been king or should have been more lovecraftish if he had he had himself had ended not with getting therapy sessions but he himself wound up in an asylum because that would have been that yeah. would that, that would have closed the circle in a way more lovecraftish and maybe it would have been slightly more satisfying for me but I can see why he picks up the their vermis mysterious. That'd be a nice love prep ending. Mm, he's yeah, he's I, definitely I, 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 sort of flubbed it I there. Mean, I think he's the only one that's he's the only person that we know of who's gone through Jacob's treatment who's not killed themselves or died by the end, right? He's pretty close. Yeah, well, I think there's, and, there's a bunch of like there was a lot of healing. Well, yeah, but, 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 so, so they, but every time we hear about someone, they, we find, especially towards the end, we find, oh, yeah, they've, they're dead or they're suicided. Yeah, so it's, think, it's, there's a role, especially after, after the pastor's dead, right? Right. So it, it feels like they're all, be, they're all, and he himself is kind of like. Or the opening of the veil, the I guess. Door. The opening yeah, of the door that causes a, a psychic shockwave to go through all the people who've yeah, experienced. Yeah, that's all the right. kind of moment, yeah. right? And, there's that moment where everyone, all yes. the creative people. Yes. And he's, and he's holding in the doorway of Mother because he can still hear Mother. So it feels like 
And King doesn't quite get this right. I think like, like there's an inevitability that he's going to fall. Yes, and, and it's not I, strong I, I enough. I don't feel like I don't feel like King quite You're right. shows the tipping over of that. It feels like he's a little more. It feels like he actually sets it up. He sets it up so many times. Do, do you remember the um, the the gun with four bullets shot out or five bullets shot out? Right, and mm-hmm. he's he's going to keep that. He's got that one bullet left in the gun. It's the it's the Chekhov's gun that's already fired, but there's still one bullet to be fired, right? That's yeah. from the opening of a Lovecraft story. Uh, I've just put four bullets through the head of my friend, blah, blah, blah. But I'm writing this narrative, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and now yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm finished. And for yourself, that's, that's exactly right. Says. Yes, indeed. So. So, and so yes, that kind that's that kind of. I mean, it's I been too long for him. I think life. he's forgotten these details. Like, like wh- wh- I think he he really got these things in his head, um, but he's sort of gone a little fuzzy on the on the exact details because it is a very Lovecraftian homage in many places, but it's also totally Stephen King in that you know Lovecraft would not have done it <laughs> this long. Um, this long or in quite this way. What do you think, Marissa? Yeah, and this character is not very... Jamie's not the kind of character you see in too many love He's fun. Stories. He's kind of every man. But, yeah, he's, uh, there's some issues there. What do you think, Jacob Marissa? Jacob would be... Lovecraft would be more interested in Jacob's, I think. Yes. Oh, yeah, and you, you, Jacob's would be the mm-hmm. viewpoint character. What do you think, Marissa? Um, I loved it. I feel like... I really enjoyed that weird long pacing. Like, um, mm-hmm. I sometimes even forgot that I was reading a horror novel. You know, like it was like reading oh, yeah. someone's autobiography. It's really good. So, I was, yeah, I like that it kind of hypnotized you into this like really immersive sort of autobiography style. Um, and I feel like those slow bits with the the band stuff and those kind of things, I probably wouldn't have mind them if there was a little bit more horror and stuff coming through there. It kind of felt like where you're you're always waiting for the you know, the shooter drop sort of feeling mm. like, um, but there was definitely like, you know, that car accident at the start mm-hmm. where the preacher loses his wife and child. Um, that, that's like such a cool moment because you can see how horrific and terrible, like, you know, terrible things are going to happen in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, the disca- I mean, he's, he's ghoulishly enjoying the description and we're like, Ooh, that's horrible. Yeah. But um, and then just makes you wait so so long for the actual like horror story to really kick in. It needs but, to grow up. Yeah, but it was cool. I really liked it. I was just like totally immersed and mostly didn't mind that no horror stuff was happening. <laughs> and then the ending just took me by surprise because I didn't really know where it was going to go. But I thought that was pretty epic. So I, I made I, a. I think that that sermon is actually. I mean, I am so conflicted about Jacobs. I, I think there's. I mean, this is one of his most gray villains, I, mm-hmm. I think. You know, especially early in his career, he had those really black and white evil villains. And he did generally get more gray. King gets more gray as he... His villains get more gray later on. But I think this one... That that terrible sermon, it's such a heroic moment for him mm-hmm. in a way. Because mm-hmm. how many right. creatures have that same crisis of faith and just keep going to work? Like, I and, felt the same thing. Oh yeah. It, did you also find with the the audiobook narrator was so good? The oh, way he's he did really good. Jacobs, yeah. like you really like sympathize with this guy and, and the way 
he did the tie and stuff. It's like this is a nice guy. Like mm-hmm. he's not that bad. Yeah, no, I, I, him as a villain, he's a tragic figure actually. Um, oh, he's very tragic. I mean, I was thinking uh, it's not on my little mini list here I've made, but uh, just thinking about him now, I'm thinking Charles Dexter Ward. He's like a sympathetic Charles Dexter Ward. He's he's like a mad scientist, right? As Evan was you know, selling me on it, it's it's a mad scientist. But um, in that case, you know, he's he's like an evil alchemist trying to preserve life. Here, he's more much more like Victor Frankenstein, in that he's trying to understand the mysteries of death. Right. A.K.A. the Vermis Mysterious. There. Uh, and Car- yeah, you're, you're, you're right. You're, you're right. Kerwin yeah. is who I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, so the connections to Lovecraft are, are huge. But I just want, I made a mini list here just going through uh, some of the stories. I'm like, oh, okay, here's a list. Um, H.P. Lovecraft's Beyond the, Wy- Beyond the Wall of Sleep. Has, there's a lot of that in this story. He doesn't mention it anywhere in the interviews or anything. But that's a story about a, peop, a guy who's works in an insane asylum um, who's got a curious case where this crazy man who's, uh, I don't know, Down syndrome or some some inbred, you know, he's brain disease. Backcountry folk. Yeah. To, he's, he's screwed up. He's like uh, one of the lurking fear guys, basically. Um, can't, can't string anything together, but while he's asleep, he, uh, is a super genius, um, and, you know, possibly inhabited by a being from, uh, beyond, right? And speaking of from beyond, and that's not in this, my list either, but from beyond, which is about, uh, a guy getting invited over to, uh, uh, an, a friend's house who he hasn't talked to in a long time. He's basically uh, become super thin and freaked out, and all the servants have left him, which is, happens in this story. Um, and and then he says, uh, "Now sit down in this room uh, and uh, witness all the shit that's swimming in the reality just beyond the veil. This thing's going to tap into your your uh, hypothalamus or whatever, and uh, and ha 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 ha. I've got this gun." <laughs> um, you're going to move and then they're going to eat you and I'm going to witness it and this is going to be great and it's like wow yeah that's in this story right mm-hmm. how about uh, the relationship between the the um, the pastor and, and the six year old boy growing over time Herbert West Reanimator yeah I, I, I was wondering if this story was going to this novel was going to go to him trying to get back his wife and son not just basically contact him to find out what's happened mm-hmm. to him but then mm-hmm. it, so i was thinking okay is this really herbert west and then it veers away it's like no it's more communication and reaching through rather than trying to bring them back per se uh, yeah and if it is bringing back it's not bodily right no but, but that's fine there's there's plenty of there's plenty of love but that, that, we have a disembodied intelligence so the dynamic. I was, I was kind of grouping there for a moment. What? The dynamic between Herbert West and the unnamed narrator uh, is one of. We get it in the statement of Randall Carter. It's um, he he had these compelling ideas. I feared him, but I followed him, right? And then 
if you read Herbert West Reanimator closely enough, you can definitely infer that maybe Herbert Reanimator, Herbert West doesn't exist, right? That the narrator is fractured himself and seeing himself uh, from another way. And we see that in the next story on my list, which is Hypnos, right? And notice that the brother, what does he study? He studies... uh, uh, Astronomy. Yes, but specifically in Hawaii, he studies uh, pulsars, which uh, later in the story we find out the stars are... um, you know, black so, black so. black holes to the other reality, right? Or the real, <laughs> stars, true the stars reality. Are right. Yeah. Um, and then, so the pulsars are, you know, s- giving out signals that if we study closely enough, that's all in hip up in hypnos, right? That's what they do is they do that shit. But even underneath all of that, there's Ex Oblivione, which is one of my favorites by uh, Lovecraft, which is usually considered a prose poem. Which is about a guy who sleeps and finds a in his dream a gate. Oh yeah, that's the I, I could not remember which with I knew Ivy we had on the done wall the story. Yeah, I knew we had done the story with the with the wall and the gate, and I kept thinking about yep. it because he's talking about the door and the ivy colored wall. And I was like, I know that's a love. Yeah. He searches ever ever right. He searches ever ever for the key, and he finds it in an old book. And then when he goes through the gate, he finds himself in non-existence. AKA from nothing into nothing, right? So this, to the uh, null. yeah, to the null. Now the, the, the difference here is uh, for the ending of this book, um, normally Lovecraftian characters want to kill themselves because the realization of reality is so horrific. What he really plays towards, but then I don't think does well enough in this is that he says, He's almost trying to say the opposite. Life is the only way to escape the horror that death will bring. Well, life and drugs. Because he's like, I would, I probably would have committed suicide if I wasn't on these antidepressants. <laughs> yeah, but see, that, that, the, the, there's a huge problem there, which is the playing against if, if death is that, you know, being escorted to, the other gods or whatever it is by ants biting you and everybody's feeling horrible all the time. That sounds really bad. I don't want to go there. It's like mm-hmm. one way to escape that would be to become a lich, right? Like uh, Kerwin or, or the guy from The Alchemist, right? The, the, the cold guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From um, Cool Air. Uh, Dr. Munoz, right? Uh, spending all your time trying to avoid going to death because death is horrible as opposed to life, mm-hmm. which is horrible. But life is punctuated by puppies and butterflies and nice sandwiches. <laughs> Whereas death is like you get bitten by these ants and no blood comes out. So you can't die. You just feel pain all the time and everything's horrible. Well, that sounds horrible. I don't want to have that happen, but he doesn't, he doesn't, he, he has these people killing themselves as if they know something they've seen beyond the veil and they see what's there and then they want to kill themselves to get there? It doesn't make any sense. He's sort of but like maybe they fucked it up. Haven't seen the full maybe they've just had like glimpses of stuff that And I think that they, they haven't seen they haven't seen seen it's a blasted wasteland. That's that's the thing is description of the Antland reminded me of. What's that? It reminded me of the hell we see in the movie The Black Hole. 
Yes, a little bit. We, 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 yeah. we see that blasted landscape. We see we see some figures trundling along. We have uh, the the merged, uh, which is uh, it fits with this movie in this book too, mer- right? Merged uh, robot the- and its creator kind of standing over, looking over the entire thing. That's that's the visual I kept seeing. When You're right, Paul. I was seeing um, the Bloodborne video game. You guys <laughs> played that? No, no. <laughs> what's what Bloodborne? Seeing. Tell me about Bloodborne. Uh, it's like a weird, like, gothic horror video game. It's just, like, beautifully designed, and it has, like, these big kind of weird insectoid Lovecraftian creatures around and reality um, blurring. It's very atmospheric and very creepy, so I was just seeing that. I, I, what you guys are talking about, I think, is there's a really interesting contrast with mm-hmm. a book King wrote much earlier in his career, and, the like, here... The protagonists, they're old, right? Like mm-hmm. Jacobs, Morton, or, you know, at least the narrator, Morton, is an old man, right? Thinking back on this stuff and thinking about death. Like, King is, you know, he's obviously thinking more about death than a lot of his later works. If you read uh, Bizarre of Bad Dreams, a lot of those novels are about old people and people getting old. Mm. It's a pretty common theme in his later works. But uh, the other really, the, the novel that stands out when you think, what are his novels about death? There's this one in Pet Cemetery, right? Mm. And the thesis in Pet Cemetery is like, death is better. Yeah. Which is, you know, not the case here, obviously. Well, no, see, it's both. That's the problem. Uh, so many people want to escape the horrors that they're inflicting on themselves because of what Jacobs did, right? Um, to them. It's sort of a. It's a side effect, right? So that it's it's like um, it, it's also that's also sort of in Herbert West Reanimator, right? You brought me back to life. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> I'm seeing beyond. Right? Wow, that's not nice, huh? But but uh, you know, especially in the movie <laughs> where the humor is really obvious, um, it's like wow, we can we can talk to them and see what things are going on beyond the beyond the veil it'll be really interesting and they come back and they're like you fucking monster you <laughs> wow well, Jacob never uses his treatment right he, the technology that's right it seems that this secret electricity could let people allow people to live quite a while if they don't go insane yeah i i do I, everything, right? I do like that he is kind of an alchemist he, he doesn't share his his research with other scientists, right? He's guarding it, but he not the mad scientist with the secret knowledge. But not because not because he's jealous of of what other scientists will do with it. It's a personal quest, in the same way that it is with Frankenstein, right? He is obsessed with. So his root childhood problem problem is his family's destruction via lightning, or not by lightning, by the. Uh, symbolic lightning strike to his family's tree right and then it, we get sort of a conventional morality play where i don't feel the conventional morality play here is at work at all i don't feel like uh jacobs is you know he cheated on his wife <laughs> and that's why his wife is punished uh, or anything like that so that that the, the red herring about i think it is a red herring about the the no, it's not alcohol. that he cheated on his wife because his wife cheated on him. 
Yeah, same difference, right? The alcohol in the glove compartment, like, yeah, that's right, a red right, herring, right, right, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. But right. it's a red herring for us. It's a red herring for the narrator. I don't think it, and well, it, it's it kind of dismissed. It because this novel also really does go into ideas of addiction and being bound to drugs. I mean, our main character goes through that. So alcohol is a way of escaping your life, and the wife using alcohol as a way to escape a situation she doesn't like. And kind of is what is the situation she doesn't like, though, from what we see of her life? It's idyllic, right? Well, what well, we only seeing it, we only seeing it from the narrator's point of view, which Absolutely. is very, very, very limited. Because absolutely, but it doesn't pay off, is what I'm saying, Paul. Uh, true. Okay. I don't. I don't think at any point do we in him talking to her from beyond the grave. She says, "I drank because you hit me," or anything like that. Right? Because you, I I drank because I wanted to. I was a lesbian or whatever. Like. <laughs> And there's nothing like that, although Soderbergh uh, ends up being a lesbian in the end, which I thought was really interesting. And so, like, uh, uh, it was um, uh, King saying, I'm awoke now. <laughs> there was well, a couple I, of moments like that. Yeah, I got out of the, the alcohol in the glove compartment thing. That was probably more, more King. I was just thinking how, like, small towns function, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. rumor mill about yes. this. That's... It's it probably like I just read that as you know more innocuous, but because it got out like there, it spread to be there, fact. Yeah. Like, oh, what it highlighted, I agree. What it highlighted to me though was that that the the guy who said it right, he was a guy who lives on the edge of town, who doesn't come into sermons very much, and who is unmarried, just like the guy who actually killed the family, right? Who was a farmer. Who had epilepsy? I think it was right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he took drugs for it, which is very similar to. There's so much uh, good, like s- sort of symbolic mirroring going on, which is what our narrator ends up doing, right? Taking drugs for all sorts of different reasons. One is to avoid the uh, horrible nightmares, and the other is uh, to avoid thinking about the horrible nightmares he's just witnessed with. With Jacobs, right? So he's taking one kind of drugs uh, to heal the pain in his leg, which is probably not the real reason. That's my thinking. And then there's the other kind, which uh, is the ones that level, take the bottom out, right? Uh, prevent suicidal depression, but also make your head muddy. Um, so if we go back to that original guy who, who killed the family... What caused his seizure? Well, what what we call those things? Electrical storm in the brain, right? So it was the electricity that killed the family. So he takes up the electricity. Uh, well, you know, he was already dabbling with it. He was it. already into. Where's the into that? that. So yeah, he, had, he, just, he just goes obsessively into it. Yeah, but but he, wasn't there electricity the that killed one of the 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 congregation in one of his stories during the terrible sermon too? Tell me more. Like I think he's telling the stories of all the the problems. He's going through the problem with evil stuff, right? And yes. Evil. And there's that town that's like hit by a bunch of tornadoes, and most people live, so they all go to pray in the church. And then I think it's hit by lightning, isn't it? Fire. I think that the 
No, 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 it was a tornado hits the town. They go, they go yes. to the church, and then North Tornado comes and smashes them all. Oh, it's another tornado. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a, that, uh, that story is not unique. I think that's a real story. I don't know if it's a real story in reality, but it's a story that goes around the internet at least. Um, of the, so there was a, a bit of, um, tr- uh, what's that? I want to say true romance, true crime. No, true detective. What's who's the uh, the uh, actor from True Detective who makes everybody de- makes uh, Woody Harrelson depressed? <laughs> He's just basically Thomas Ligotti, right? Name, Rusty Cole, Rustin Cole, right? Rustin Cole. You guys have all seen this HBO show, right? Yeah, I've, I've seen the first season. Yeah, that's the only one that you really need to see. For, in, in any case. Rustin Cole is like, uh, I'm driving down the highway, I say something, and you get really offended, right? <laughs> because you just uh, pulled the rug out from under me and said something as a truth that makes me feel bad. Um, uh, this happens all the time when I'm talking to boomers. <laughs> if I'm, like, seriously talking to them, I'm like, yeah, you know, that book, and the book you're reading, and John Brennan's uh, uh, biography, yeah, he's a monster. <laughs> and then, then, no, he's not. <laughs> and then I point out like six or seven things where, you know, he, he you know, condone torture or whatever. <laughs> like, you don't understand. Uh, and I'm like, I, I think I do. <laughs> I think I do. Um, but the thing is, is that sermon is, they call it the terrible sermon because it's offering terrible truth. I, I, I was trying yeah. to bring up the text, but I don't have it. Evan, do you happen to have it handy? The terrible no, sermon? Don't. Damn it. Okay, so basically I was listening to it, and I'm like, where's the lie? Yeah. There was none. He's a little bit depressed about it, and I, I totally get that. But he ain't lying to them at all. He's He is saying, I've been deluded the whole time. And... This is, you know, this is often how people lose their faith is basically something bad happens exactly. to them personally, right? They say, oh, you know, those people over there dying, that, yeah, that's a tragedy. <laughs> but when it happens to me, oh my God, it's horrible. No, and things are not what they seem. And, you know, we can delude ourselves, drug ourselves, we can hide from it, but that original cosmic horror is. A hundred percent real. And so no wonder the church didn't want to hear it. No wonder he's fired. Because you're taking away the thing that they believed in their whole life. And yeah, so and they blame like that's him. That's why his wife could be drinking and stuff as well. Like not just his lies, but just like the lies that everyone lives to be a part of like suburban or small town. Especially small town communities. Yeah, like everyone's kind of but putting on faces. By saying, by telling the reason that was brought up in the in in response to the sermon is because it's a way of lashing out at him for saying the thing that shouldn't be said. Right? Mm-hmm. You're making me feel bad. Now I'm going to make you feel bad. Right? You you yeah. say, hey Jesse, you're fat, and I say, oh yeah, well you're ugly. <laughs> right? <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> it has nothing to do with w- whether somebody was actually having. Uh, you know, rye or bourbon in their glove compartment. It has all to do with the lashing out because it's too painful. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jesse, have you seen The Devil's Advocate? Uh, you mean the movie? Like, 
I mean the movie with Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino. Maybe a long time ago. So, I mean, I mean, the terrible turn reminds me of Al Pacino's monologue as the devil toward the end of that movie, where he basically tells off about God being a sadist and like putting humanity through hell and like, what do you expect me to do? God, God, God treats humans like crap, and I'm just trying to do do the best I can here, sort of thing. That's kind of like the terrible, quote unquote, terrible truth that God God is constituted in the in the Bible is is not the, not the uh, unvarnished character that you that get in the Sunday sermons. And it's like I, I understand. I think it's an urban legend that Al Pacino only wanted to do this film if he could do that monologue and. I believe it because he really puts the passion into that as, as the devil is basically telling, get, get to tell off God, which is what Pastor James kind of basically tells off God and religion in that terrible sermon. No wonder he gets fired and no wonder he goes down the path of mad science as he lost his faith. And it just, it's even mentioned that there is that some pastors survive and go through and 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 fake it and we've mentioned this here before on the podcast but pastor jacobs just broke him and he went down a completely dark different path but i do wonder stephen king doesn't say it's not because we're not interior to jacob's story the 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 secret electricity and fire where did they come from inside of jacobs to begin with because there was a in a sense he was glimpsing that door before ever before that car accident so yeah how and why there's yeah. also that interesting thing at the start, you know, when they first meet, mm-hmm. um, when he's playing with his little cave. Yeah, yeah, and like the way Jacobs is described is so creepy. Like the dogs stop barking, the birds stop singing, the shadow falls over him, and you get the sense of like this menacing what? guy. But then it turns out he's not actually menacing then, apparently. He's a normal guy, and it could just be the narrator's memory, you know, like now he's coloring everything in this more yes. menacing light. Um, but yeah, that was kind of interesting too, because I was like, he's kind of a good guy back then. There's a there's a another sort of... Uh, I don't want to call Stephen King like a bad writer, because he isn't. Um, but I think he, 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 he uses the shotgun method, and so some things don't fully develop. There's a point early on when he's talking to the pastor, uh, and the pastor tells him how much uh, power is in, or the temperature of the of the lightning bolt, or something like that, right? Fifty thousand degrees. Yeah. Right, but then later on in the same text in the in the novel, he he refers back to it and says he can't remember that figure. But this whole narrative is being written down <laughs> at the same time over a course of a couple of months in 2013. So that to me is a sign we've got an unreliable narrator, either deliberately or yeah. not. Now the thing is, is he plays a bit. He's telling his therapist, this his therapist says that uh, like how much this is actual reality. So King is acknowledging it that back into the, book that's a lot of this could be unreliable yes but he he's not good at making it unreliable enough so that you like there are, he says you know i don't know if that really happened or not I, you know he found himself doing this he found it um and then he talks about the murder he committed co- sort of but not really right <laughs> and where's this document going to us right so there are 
there are a number of problems that I see as sort of a creation of the of the creative process. But because he's just such a skilled natural writer, we don't notice them. We're still thinking about you know the magic he's doing over here and the the summary uh, that's coming yeah, out, totally. the things that are coming together. But I noticed like uh, in looking at people's reviews, a lot of people hated the ending of this. They they the, or in professional reviewers, right? They talk about how he he sort of screws up the ending. Uh, I think the ending's is screwed up, but not in the way they're thinking. They're thinking it's screwed up because they're talking about the the horror vision. But that's not the actual ending. The actual ending is, you know, him visiting his brother, right, in Hawaii. And that's... The, so, yes, it is kind of a screwed up ending because he doesn't end up, uh, you know, as a... <laughs> trying to figure out the mysteries of uh of electricity himself right becoming the next herbert west reanimator the next jacobs he doesn't he doesn't uh decide to kill himself or to try and stay alive via some other means right he's we're just sort of left with an unfinished story yeah which i kind of like but what was the critique that you were reading was that it that they they felt like it wasn't like looped together. Uh, no, no, it was more like um, uh, it's weird because <laughs> they don't understand that it was all okay. love. It's supposed to be the very Lovecraftian, right? Because they don't read like that. Did, yeah, yeah, they don't. They don't know what he's referencing here. I mean, I uh, think the stuff they didn't like is what I did like about it. Probably. Oh yeah, I liked yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was open and I like that it was so weird. Um, if you, I, I was just looking like at uh, the Goodreads. I think it was. Or maybe it was the, yeah, maybe it was in the Wikipedia entry. They had some professional ones as well. Um, let's have a look at that. Stephen King revival, uh, Wikipedia. Did I hear Paul just have an epiphany? I thought I heard someone gasp up their hands. <laughs> I, 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 I was thinking of the song "Survival" by Yes, and just changed it to "Revival." Okay, <laughs> I, I, I do have a. Different point when Jesse's done with this. Elizabeth Hand. Another book. Elizabeth Hand, writing in the Washington Post, highlights Revival's influences. So Elizabeth Hand would know, right? Uh, King's restrained prose explodes in an ending that combines contemporary realism and cosmic horror reminiscent of H.P. Lovecraft's fiction and the classic film Quatermass in the Pit. A uh, little bit, not very much. The tormented relationship between Jamie Morton and J- Charles Jacobs takes on the funereal shading of Arthur Miller's tragedy. Uh, okay. King's storytelling is praised as offering, quote, the atavistic pleasure of draw- drawing closer to a campfire in the dark to hear a tale recounted by someone who knows exactly how to make every listener's flesh crawl when he whispers, don't look behind you. Sort of a generic mm-hmm. review there. Good, but uh, other reviewers uh, were less enthusiastic, with The Guardian's Ben East describing Revival's ending as a bit odd. <laughs> East praises the story's <laughs> beginning, but opined that Revival oh, takes a turn t- for the ridiculous after moving past the protagonist's childhood. <laughs> in the context of a novel with so many interesting things to sing about growing up and growing old in the 21st century, the more fantastical elements feel a little silly. <laughs> well, well, we... I, I prefer the Elizabeth Hand 
Yes. <laughs> she's trying to she's trying to fancy writer in her own right. Trying to bring the bring the people who won't understand in and say, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to tell you something you might be a little bit familiar with this old movie from uh, the 1950s and uh you know, Arthur Miller." <laughs> and, this, and the other guy's saying, "I don't know what you're talking about." Her stuff is not public domain, but we should do an Elizabeth Hand no- novel or novella sometime, like Wildling Hall, maybe. Ooh, yeah. That would that would be. An, it, I think just you'd be interested in what uh, Elizabeth Hand. I'm interested Hand's in interesting things. Um, here's What's one that? more. I'm interested in interesting things. Um, Tasha Robinson, writing for the AV Club, offered similar criticism. Virtually all of Revival is a slow build that sometimes feels suspiciously like a Shaggy Dog story. One which may not have a punchline. Revival could have been trimmed, uh, trimmed all the buildup and instead been an extremely unnerving short story. Uh, I, I think that that's true. Um, uh, it, I, I enjoy, I enjoy King writing about growing up and being a kid and, uh, you know, just hanging out in, with his characters. The problem is, that's not the part I'm really into, right? That's you can get that in a lot of stuff. Anyways, King's fans familiar with his sprawling voice and comfortably compelling style may be perfectly content to hang out with him. On, oh, there, that's exactly right. On this leisurely stroll towards eventual horror. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, that's, that's, that nails it. It's pretty <laughs> close. Yeah, a stroll uh, towards horror. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, I not it's such a cool idea. Like that's so fun when you know it's coming and everything is so like just nice. Like you're just reading like a story about a real person. Like I'm sure a lot of that is Stephen King himself. Sounds oh, yeah. like it's kind of autobiographical. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think he talks about his dad not, not being yeah. around, but other and on than the that, horizon, yeah, is this big storm cloud that you know is coming that's just going to be filled with weird horror. I wanted I wanted to have June I was when I was about halfway through I was like we needed Wayne June on this because he he was a musician for forever. Oh yeah, that, he would have been great. And I yeah, wanted yeah. to ask him. Uh, so uh, did you have the is is this how heroin addiction works? Or <laughs> I have or no idea. Road, road, yeah, road, yeah, road, but road. just do, do all cocaine right now. <laughs> I have no idea, um, but um, <laughs> like alcohol and. Well, yeah. definitely alcohol, but but I I, I, I wanted to ask him to coke, definitely alcohol. Do the, I'm not sure if he does. Everybody have uh, limp limp uh, handshakes in the in the industry? <laughs> Is it because they're all in's mouth look guys, <laughs> fish men? <laughs> I dude, I thought that definitely, like it's a, King's always trying to be really contemporary. So there's that opioid crisis kind of. Oh yeah. If there's a morality tale hidden in here, it's like this is uh, this is your brain. Be careful when the doc prescribes you those narcotics. Yes. Well, well, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, he he admits this stuff. Basically, this this addiction started basically as pain management gone wrong, and that's that's a that's a true and real story for a lot of people. So it does feel felt really contemporary with the opioid crisis that that's how he got into this drug addiction in the first place. Because yeah, lots of people did have and did. I, I wanted to ask you guys if you any of you'd heard of this phrase, the fifth business, before. I hadn't. That's no. cool. Uh, it's interesting, right? Yeah, it's an industry term of some kind, right? I actually yeah. had heard of it, but I hadn't. I I didn't know what it meant. There's a Robertson Davies novel. He's a Canadian author who, in 1970, put out a book called uh, The Fifth Business. And I thought I'm never going to read that. I would see it on the shelf. <laughs> but now I kind of want to read it because if if yeah. it's it, it, it's like. Um, 
there's all these industry terms, you know, uh, what's the one for the thing that everybody's chasing after that everybody wants? MacGuffin. MacGuffin, MacGuffin. right? Right. So it's almost like these are uh, story construction tropes. The fifth Mm -hmm. business shows up and, and does this thing to you. And, oh, yeah, that's interesting. But, yeah, um, I, I wanted to connect. The, the story I kept thinking um, about that's not Lovecraft, but is totally tied in. I, I've done a thread on this before. Um, I think I'm super genius because I discovered this. I don't know if anybody else has ever talked about it in the world. That's why I think I'm the super genius, right? So it's the fact that in fiction, green doors are magic doors. And in Ex Oblivione, um, it doesn't say, I don't think, what the color of the door is, in the, the door and the wall to the mm-hmm. non-existence. But there is a, a, a H.G. Wells story, which I think a lot about and have done a show on, called The Door and the Wall. And it's uh, about a door that when you pass through it, you can visit an alternate reality, sort of. And the first time the narrator... Uh, not the narrator. The uh, the subject of the story goes through the door. He is very young. He goes through a door, a green door, in a wall covered in ivy, a white wall. And on the other side is a beautiful garden. And through the garden is uh, a pathway. He goes along the pathway. He's a very young child. And there's a nice lady sitting on a on a throne basically and beside her are tigers and lions and wolves and all sorts of dangerous animals that are very tame and she invites him to sit on her lap and he does and she opens a book and it shows him his life um all the things that he did with his mommy and daddy um and then when she gets to the page where she's he sees him sitting on her lap, she says, and that's the end of the story. Uh, she starts closing the book, and he tries to force the page open to the next page, um, and he finds himself popped out outside the wall. Can't find the door anymore. It reappears to him, this this door in a wall reappears to him twice more, um, but he's uh, a minister uh, in the... Go- you the UK government um, on urgent business. And he promises himself when he sees it again, that he'll come back um, and doesn't. Um, then uh, again, he's prime minister. It sounds like of the UK and he's on his way to a meeting and he thinks it's improper for him to stop and people will talk. So he decides to not do it. And besides that, was a fantasy he had as a kid. And the the next time he he's heard of, um, he's it's a story in the newspaper, he's been found um, in a uh, in the pit for a construction of a building where there was a wall and the door was supposed to have been locked. A white wall. He's found dead at the bottom of the pit. And this, the point of the story is, you know, it's mysterious, like Ex Oblivione. It's about what lies beyond. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. What What is going on? It's 
it seems to be like connected to childhood and a personal obsession and like just the little details like remember at the beginning when he's constructing the hill for his soldiers to fight on all that stuff is so beautifully written right king's a master at this his -hmm. sister who kisses him on the uh temple when she gives him this uh footlocker it's a footlocker it's not a box a footlocker full of soldiers that she mailed away from for from the back of a a comic book and the brother wouldn't the older brother wouldn't let her cut the coupon out so she had to hand copy it and she was very worried and she was worried it wouldn't come in time and he gives it to her and it's always his favorite present right and then he's playing with it in the yard um and he makes a hill and he puts his two fingers in and the the walls of the caves collapse right um and then the guy it's too dry jacobs explains uh you pour some water on it and then they don't collapse and the germans can hide the nazis the krauts can hide in there right then you remember later on in the story um we get the crumbling house where he has sex with uh astrid and then he comes back there again and the house is gone and it's replaced with a a new house, which I guess Jacobs is built, right? To take advantage of that electrical pole that somebody put up, a uh, lightning rod. Um, and he describes the house. He descri- describes not wanting to go in there because it's the cave of shadows and also the house of shadows when he comes out of it. And shadows, another word for, for, uh, you know, soul or spirit, blah, blah. But it reminds me of that cave that he makes for his, his Krauts or Americans to hide in or whatever. And he calls it Skull Mountain because nearby is Goat Mountain. That's, so this is like the inter, interleaving of themes that go away and come back is really cool. But I was a bit weirded out about the ants because ants are icky and scary uh, and they're drones, right? We don't think of them as having volition and stuff like we do. But the first time he sees the ants, do you remember when it was? It's right there in that scene, right? It's in that scene. She's He's having yeah. sex with her on the mattress and there's a black ant crawling over over the I, surface I think I of the mattress. Ants with yeah. the, the, the toy soldiers. Absolutely. Yep. And the thing I think is, I mentioned on like page one, I think yeah. he says something about that we're all just like ants. That's the that's kind of what's so cool is I think there is a, a slightly more subversive way of reading the uh, the thing than you know just taking his raw images as um, gospel because us being drones in our lives is pretty horrible. But the if I, if I had the text of that, um, and I don't have it handy, I couldn't find it, of the uh, s- the terrible sermon. Basically, it, it's it's saying that Earth and existence is hell, and then he sees that non-existence, null, beyond, as hell. But because so many people are killing themselves to escape the hell on Earth. If there really is existence beyond 
earth, you know, heaven or what, anything, an afterlife, then that doesn't work as an escape if it's horrible. But what's so interesting is that not everybody sees the same thing when they have these experiences. When, when he first comes out of the, uh, uh, treatment for his, his, uh, heroin addiction, what is the, what's the word he keeps saying, phrase he keeps saying over and over again? Uh, like something happened? Something happened, right? And then he's got his hand raised up like he's a little kid in school. He needs to say something. Something happened! Uh, something happened! Right? And can't stop it. And then later on when he finds himself naked with one sock on and stabbing a fork into his arm, uh, at that point in the story, I'm like, I'm pretty sure uh, something bad happened <laughs> that yeah. we, we don't know about, as in... Jacob's like programmed him with post hypnotic suggestion or something. I was thinking that maybe that's what's going on, but I don't think that that's what it is. I think it's whatever they experience uh, with this electrical shit gives them a glimpse. Is what I think what we're supposed to see in the same yeah, way glimpse, that a glimpse through the keyhole. Yeah, in the same way that we do with the Mackin story, right? Is that in having that brain surgery done? She is, she is able to, I mean, that's the whole point of the surgery and the witness there, right? Is we're going to see via her what lies beyond, what thing there is to see. And so we get that at the end with the, uh, with the old woman who's been, got her prions all up in her brain, right? Right. She's going to be the, that window to that alternate reality and it doesn't seem to work. And then it does. And then what he sees, um, was a black paper sky, uh, a long line of marching soldiers, except they're ants, AKA soldier ants. Right. So there's something really cool going on that it, it, it's not as horrific as it. That is to say the reality he's seeing is not, what is really beyond the veil. It's just what he's been programming himself to sort of believe. And he says at one point, somebody says at one point, maybe that self, that image of the ants and stuff is itself as an illusion. Yes. I think we're supposed to be given a bit of hope that no, maybe, maybe the afterworld isn't as horrible as that, as that hellscape after all. But yes, which makes me think of, um, which makes me think of the role playing game and the uh, not and Gnostic ideas like cult, where basically the, this world is an illusion, the world beyond is an illusion, is lots of illusion, and it just gets worse and worse the more you go into those illusions. There's maybe a real reality behind it all, but you'll never get there. But I, I, I do think that there's, you know, this is a, a scary fundamental truth that people don't want to talk about, that he's really getting at here. And that, you know, it's in that sermon, but like, there is no immorality on Mars. Right? There's no horrors on Mars. It's just a dry world with no life. And Venus is a hot world with no life. And all the other planets are full of no life, right? As far as we can tell, there's no other planets with any kind of life, which means there's no pain. Um, the other day, uh, Will tweeted a picture of some cute little kittens that have, were born under his, uh, the deck of his new house. Some feral kittens, right? And they're, I, I, they're super cute. I just, I mean, look at them. They're super cute. And I said, it's a beautiful murderer. 
because they're designed to murder things, right? They, there's nothing that they love more than chasing and then killing something. That's horrible. So we have a lot of people today who are, you know, we're going vegan because I don't like hurting things. I don't want that. I don't want to contribute to the pain of this world. And we're going to have to say, you know, tigers are creating pain in this world. There's just, and they're compelled to have babies, right? We have, it's like our job is to try and, we are the demons of hell who are born into hell and seeing all the hellish things that are going on all around us. And we're like trying to mitigate some of the, the horror and say, well, let's get that cat fixed that way. There won't be endless horror. And we need to, you know, okay, so we're going to try and make the cat vegan, right? (laughs) Because otherwise I don't want, I don't want to eat chickens because chickens are alive too. But the thing is, is there is no real escape and we are deluding ourselves by saying, you know, life is, can be like in the Garden of Eden where everybody's just given food and, and no pain is given to anybody and nobody dies and everything's perfect because that's fucking illusion. People who are like doing that stuff though don't, aren't under that illusion. I think they're just under the idea of like do as little harm as a conscious being Indeed. That you can do. Indeed. Without, but it know, doesn't you can't stop animals causing suffering. But it children. doesn't follow through, right? That's the, that's the point is like, look, if I'm, if I'm saying, uh, it's wrong for me to murder people because it would make me feel bad. Mm-hmm. That's a mistake. It's wrong to murder people because murder causes pain, right, to the, the, the people out there. So everybody shouldn't murder. It's right? that gift of knowledge thing, though, right? Because if I found my cat's diary and she was secretly <laughs> writing things about how she knows it's bad, but she I love it. you know, I just got rid of shit. Cat's I'd be diary. like, Yeah, I'd be like, all right, you're a bad person, cat. Yeah, but she doesn't know that. But she so. doesn't know that. But but yeah. her giving birth under uh, you know a porch with not enough food in the area and having her babies starve to death or you know get run over like Evan used the the phrase I think it was earlier in the podcast. There's so many euphemisms we have out there that or tools uh, let the cat out of the bag. Do you ever think what's why you put a cat in a bag? Yeah. We know, we know why, but we never think about it. We, we are so versed in the horror of reality mm-hmm. that we don't think, like, uh, me personally, I don't have kids. I think having kids is a horrible responsibility. It's like a horrible responsibility because basically you're saying to another creature, hey, I'm birthing you into a world of pain. There's a good chance that you'll be okay for a while, but there's also a good chance you'll be born with pain and receive pain and maybe you'll even worse, you'll give pain and that's horrible. And there's a, a story. I, I think about it all the time. Uh, I want to say it's by Barry Payne, but it's not, it's by somebody else. Um, in which a character has a revelation. It's set in British Columbia, uh, about the moon, um, after having, uh, a priest actually, kind of similar now there's a priest in a congregation um in british columbia he's black for some reason in the story and he he uh he's 
perfectly good um, priest. And then one day he enjoys hikes. That's his, his recreation. One day he comes back from a hike and he starts drinking all the time and his wife leaves him and then he's fired by his congregation. Um, and he, the narrator knows him from around town. He's always begging alcohol. Eventually, he, the narrator pries the secret out of him. He's uh, probably a Brit. He's white. Um, pries the secret out of this black man. And the black man says, I'll take you there. And they go up into the mountains. And there's a... Uh, uh, Paula liked this part. There's a waterfall. <laughs> and he, he says... Um, what you want to do is you want to take this rock and you place it on, at the crest of the waterfall. And that will make uh, the, the water arc out in a certain way. Now we go to the cave underneath and um, the double line of, of the shape of the waterfall being changed by this, this rock will give us uh, a natural telescope for looking at the moon. The water's super clear, right? So they go in the cave. Actually, this is all told. uh, We never actually get to see it. But the narrator tells us it from what the the old man pastor says. He went into the cave and he saw what was going on on the moon. And it's pain. It was hell. Now, the thing is, is, I think that's absolutely true. But the moon is dead, and it's just a mirror for looking at Earth. Because we, we look around and we sort of focus on the cute kittens and stuff, but we're not fo- focusing on, you know, after they're nursed. The mom, <laughs> I think even Will was saying, I went down and looked under the, under the deck, and there, there was the mom and the cu- kittens, and she had brought them a, a headless squirrel. <laughs> it's like, well, that squirrel was just minding its own business eating its nuts, and then suddenly a murderer jumped out and ate, you know, tore its head off and brought it home to its babies. And the babies are like, oh, it's nice. Thank you, Mom. Right? And he, Will's like hoping it doesn't rot under there. <laughs> like, that's the reality, right? So we, we can nice it up. Nature tooth and claw. Yeah, but also the rotting and also the beauty of, of the babies. Right? So um, I think he's really nailed it. But also, the other thing I was thinking about during this book that was really interesting is that Stephen King always avoids talking about the real issues. Like, this is not a sort of a... Um, <laughs> this is not really a problem in our world, right? You know, that there's a guy out there electrocuting people and the, the science isn't being done peer-reviewed and all that stuff. It's more like... Um, as far I, as we know. Yeah, I like Ray Bradbury's Carney stories, and uh, I, I like the small-town feeling of oatmeal cookies and having a family gathering and hugging each other and giving each other kisses on the cheeks. I like family American values. Nowhere in this book is like, we need fucking healthcare right now. Better wages for everybody. <laughs> it's I so apolitical. Yeah, I think he said that this story has been in his head forever, like yes. from maybe even his childhood. Yes. So I think it's like really a child a child's view of He's really good the at that. Horror. Yeah. He's really, really good Which at that. Which is why we go through the whole story, him starting starting with that mound and trying to build the soldiers all the way through to the end rather than just making a short story. He wants to tell this child's story to 
his 50s, and so we got to go a long way to get there. I would say, like, I actually really enjoyed that, that it didn't get... I I love, like, politics and issues in my science fiction, but I like that this one wasn't, and I described it on my, like, Instagram when I was uh, reading it as discomfort food. You know, it's just like... (laughs) Yeah, but uh, ultimately, if you think about what's going on, like, the, the major business of the fifth business... It's healthcare, right? Uh-huh. All these people who have all these horrible diseases that should be, you know, treated by proper medical, uh, you know, access uh, that's peer reviewed and all that stuff. Totally. What, what's happening? Yep. They're going in and getting sometimes fake treatment, and, and of course the people. And that's yeah, that as real as you can get. That's like America, like hundred percent. Was inspired by Oral Roberts. Yeah, you know, seeing him when he was. Young and it's like yep, and the country has never changed from that. <laughs> and we, you know, we, we're a lot like the states, but we don't have this uh, revival tent thing going on like you guys do. We have got lots of religious whack jobs, right? The religious whack jobs in the small town that he's in who come in and uh, fill the in at the medicine, yeah, right. The fake medicine thing here is insane, but it is because there's not an apple. Yeah. I, and, and to get political for a moment, it feels like the rallies made by the former president of the United States feel like a political version of those of, of those evangelical revival meetings. Oh, basically, for sure. just 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 channeled into politics rather than faith healing and religion. But it's a, it's, it is a religion of sorts. Rallies like, is what you're saying. Rallies, yeah, yeah they, they but but the yeah. revival meetings. If you see any of the clips, that's what they really are. That's what yeah. he's tapping it's into. It's like electricity bleach. Same difference. So one of the stories that I, uh, is on my list I haven't mentioned yet is uh, Nyarlathotep, which is, uh, you know, that is all about electricity, right? It's been a while since I read it, but it's about uh, yeah, this guy who came out of Egypt. Um, Evan, you must have done it more recently than yeah, I have. Yeah, he's given those, like, electric... He's touring the States... And he goes from town to town, and everybody's talking about him. And he gives electrical demonstrations like Tesla, who's never shouted out in this book for some reason. Um, that that was a stranger. Given how long it is, <laughs> you would oh, think Tesla would be all. I think Menlo Park is me- maybe mentioned. Maybe. Um. Yeah, it's, it's, Tesla does not get any love in this book, and it's very weird. But it, it, it's. I mean, it it wouldn't be strange if it was uh, you know a twelve minute story. It is kind of strange that it's 14 hours and and lots of stuff is talked about, but, you know, mm-hmm. not mentioned. Yeah, in this universe, Tesla should have read the, the book. Yes, yes, the Vermis maybe, Mysterious. Maybe, maybe he did and went mad, and that's why he can't <laughs> have gotten in, in, in this alternate universe, maybe Tesla isn't a thing. Well, is it an alternate? I don't think it's supposed to be an alternate universe. I think it's, I mean, he's 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 asking us to do Google searches, right? He's saying, you don't believe me, go do the search yourself or look up, right, in this website. And so it, 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 while I'm reading the book and I'm not looking those things up, which I, I guess I could have done. There's maybe some promotional site or something for it. Um, that's from a while ago, I guess, 2014. But even right. so, he's inviting us to say that this is real, right, all the time, that it's not an alternate universe. Everything, and that's why, you know, it feels sort of it, it, it to me it's really interesting because the narrator is apolitical right 
He's not interested in politics. He's interested in music and girls. Um, he likes army men. <laughs> he's not, he's not a political animal. He likes cars, right? Um, but in this, uh, you know, the heroin crisis, he goes through the, uh, what's Oxycontin and all the, um, the injuries that everybody's suffering, the cancers, all that stuff. Um, never occurs. To, I don't think a politician's name is mentioned in this book. Right? It's not about. It, it, everybody's independent. Everybody's on their own. Those, those, those politicians at Boomer's always obsessed with like Johnson and Kennedy. They're mentioned. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and Obama's on. mentioned like, like as the current president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right because yeah. it was the, the period of time it was set in. Yeah. So, it, it, it is meant to be made to feel real, though. Yes, yeah, it, absolutely. It's almost more re- like I'm sure I, I, you know Castle Rock, etc. I'm sure there are connections to other King things in here. I know Joyland is the book that inspired him to write this book because yeah. it's even yeah. called out in here, right? That's insane. Yeah, there's there's a couple uh, of Dark Tower uh, connections, which I, I was wondering I, about that, the, Evan. It's not a Dark Tower novel in any way, but The Unfound Door. Um, so I, I looked this up just to make sure. So I think it's Jacob says that the sleek electricity is like an unfound door. Mm. So, the, so the earliest quote I can find on this is Thomas Wolfe from Look Homeward Angel. Mm. He's an American, right? Um, a stone, a leaf, an unfound door, a stone, a leaf, a door, and of all the forgotten faces. Naked and alone, we came into exile. In a dark womb, we did not know our mother's face. From the prison of her flesh, we have come into this unspeakable and uncommunicable prison of this earth. Oh. Um, so there's that. But the unfound door is a device in the Dark Tower novels. There's, there's all sorts of doors. I was going to jump mm. in when you were talking about doors. Before. There's all sorts of doors in the Dark Tower stories. But some doors are like one way. Mm. They're kind of magic doors. Mm-hmm. And well, they're all sort of magic or somewhere technological, but they, they move people between the worlds, right? Mm-hmm. Death is a door. Portals. There's other. Yeah, they're portals. And one, there's one door that's the unfound door. It shows up a couple times in the novel. It's a major theme in the later novels. And it's a door that lets you go pretty much anywhere you want if you know how to kind of use it. So it's kind of a universal door. Um, and so that's one. Um, but... You know, I think he's just using the unfound door idea for me to mm-hmm. that from in the Dark Tower. It's not much of a connection, but... No, I'm, I just did a Google engram search for it, and it, it peaks in 1944. This, this preacher... Uh, you guys all at least saw the movie Salem's a lot, not yes. the book. Yes, I don't so think I did. You have, it's a TV you movie. Have a, kind of a ter- it's not a terrible sermon. Father Callahan gives a... It's like a terrible monologue. Or an internal model, <laughs> where he thinks through basically the same kind of stuff about mm-hmm. horrible the world, and he's doing it from a Catholic perspective. And if you know, I don't think that's in the movie. I, I saw it only a really long time ago. I never rewatched it. But in the book, he's he's already got this kind of shattered faith, and then when he makes the confrontation with uh, the vampire, his cross is useless. You guys know the scene I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He goes and he confronts the. Dracula, right? And he's unable to do anything because his process is useless because he's lost his faith, right? Now, in the Dark Tower novels, King returns the, brings this character 
who through a long story is able to enter into Roland's world, and he's part of this multiverse, and he's completely kind of abandoned his faith, and he has his redemptive moment um, in the final book of the Dark Tower series, where he's able to confront the monsters, and it's a really it's a it's a great moment in the in the whole series. But uh, yeah, so so Father Callahan is the fallen preacher who sort of redeems himself at the end. I, I just but, uh, tweeted you guys the uh, or put out the in the link the uh, green door magic door. Oh. I, I, I do want to I do want to talk about doors for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an audiobook, sadly, because I just checked it. Checked it out, but there's a Gene Wolfe novel called There Are Doors. Has anyone read it besides Mm-mm. me? Mm-mm. No. no. Okay, so the 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 novel, as I recall, it basically involves a main character whose name is Green who falls in love with a woman from another dimension and he follows her into the other dimension there's a couple of doors between our world and their world and he it's basically kind of a novel of obsession as he tries to find this woman and try to find this place between these two worlds and basically the, the, the doors that connect between them there's this one weird real restaurant that has a door from our world and has a door to their world so it kind of like sits in between so and, and it's just the, the reason the reason why I was thinking this especially is because you were talking about green doors. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, that's the name of the character, Green, isn't mm-hmm. it? And I checked, yes. It's, yeah, actually Green is the name of the character that goes chasing after this woman across one world to another in the the Jim Wolf novel. Sadly it's not an audiobook. So we can't do it on the podcast. Oh well, maybe somebody will it, make I, it an audiobook. It would it would it would be nice. I mean I read it a long while ago. I should reread it at some point because I didn't understand a lot of it at the time because, you know, Gene Wolfe, you got to sometimes reread it to really understand what's going on. So it'd be nice. I I tweeted this uh, also. If you want to see behind the veil, try tracing the roots and roots to and through and beyond the green door. Like memory of dinosaurs as dragons, this phrase has no beginning and no end but washes and laps over the human mind and vision like a bottomless ocean of a magic forest. Um, the, uh, if you look at the list of things that are green door, you know, stories with green doors, they're endless. And in, back in 2019, I tweeted both Marissa and Paul, um, uh, the opening of Obl- Ex Oblivione, talking about it, having yeah. a green door. Uh, when the last days were upon me and the ugly trifles of existence began to drive me to madness like the small drops of water that tortures let fall ceaselessly upon one spot of their victim's body, I loved the irradiate refuge of sleep. In my dreams I found little of the beauty I had vainly sought in life and wandered through old gardens and enchanted woods. Once, when the wind was soft and scented, I heard the south calling and sailed endlessly and languorously under strange stars. Once, when the gentle rain fell, I glided in the barge down a sunless stream under the earth till I reached another world of purple twilight, iridescent arbors, and undying roses. And once, I walked through a golden valley that led to shadowy groves and ruins and ended in a mighty wall, green with antique vines and pierced by a little gate of bronze. And bronze, of course, turns green. Oh. There's something something going on. Like it's uh, it's. What's cool about reading weird fiction 
there's a lot of it out there, right? And this is, I would say that this novel qualifies as weird fiction. It's more Stephen King than it is weird fiction. Yeah, it's um, a Stephen King novel first and weird second. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. uh, is that it's almost like the promise of, of Lovecraftian, you know, if you just get the right book, he'll know the secrets of the universe, right? I mean, that's the promise in... Uh, that Jacobs is going after, right? He's, he's trying to, he's trying to see beyond the veil. And if he can just get a hold of this book, if he can just get this electrical, uh, shit to work and light up this lady's brain in the right way, then dot, 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 right? And the thing is, is the more you read of the weird fiction, the more I think like, oh, it's true. Because there's almost, there is, it's almost like we're tapping into our own psychology by seeing all the people's dreams written down and collating all of the connections that are like continuous. Like, why do people fly when they're in dreams? In that story, Ex Oblivione, he flies, right? Um, I, I have flying dreams, right? This is not something I do normally. <laughs> Walking around the world, I don't, I don't normally have. Just I, I don't fly. normally have flying dreams. I have other, I have other weird. I have, uh, I have weirder dreams than that usually. But how? What percentage of your dreams do you write down? Right. I don't. I don't write. I, I seem to remember. I mean, I don't write down. I seem to remember a lot upon waking, but then they kind of fade away. Indeed. Unless they were really memorable, like like the one where I had a dream where one of the indie gamers, you know, the role playing games, and one of my other friends. Other gaming friends who has nothing to do with them from New Jersey were together. He's also a science fiction fan and has written best of single. We're together trying to interview Chip Delaney on a podcast and they couldn't reach him and they were frustrated by it. <laughs> I've never heard my other friends talk about Random. Chip Delaney at all. I mean, I mean, Fred, of course, has read a lot of Chip Delaney. I was like, so why, why, okay, I understand why Fred want a podcast with Chip Delaney, but why would Steve want to? It's, it's, it's in the, it's in the, like, if you do the keyword search, right, on a thousand dreams, there's going to be a number of things that come up, and some of them are, like, and I write down a lot of my dreams, not all of them, because sometimes they're very, very it's difficult to write down. You know that I, I absolutely. I, if I don't do them, then I, I won't be able to get most of it out. Right? It's just it goes away so quickly, and it's. But it's it's a combination of combining real life interests and real life worries, uh, along with sort of symbolic uh, universal. And so, like, what is it about green that's so important? Well, green has a number of symbols, right? So. Like, one of the things that's super interesting to me in this book is not the book itself, but in how people depict it on the cover, all the shitty covers. There's always a church with a steeple. If you read the book, you know that their church had no steeple. So why do they think that's important? Well, another thing that's in every cover is the lightning, right? Which is very important in the book, but it doesn't hit the steeple in the book over and over. It hits that, that, uh, stick sticking out of the ground, right? The metal rod that somebody put into the earth before this novel started, before Jacobs had ever been there. Goat Mountain, right? Near the resort where the rich people live. Again, more politics, not. <laughs> or no, where, the country politics. club, right? 
Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, that is really the only politics, Paul. <laughs> it's all about distribution. Um, but the important part is they're trying to sell this as a religious book, but it's actually, and so like a lot of the covers will have crosses. I don't think the crucifix comes up in this very much at all, given how, you know, there's a lot of Christianity going on and Jesus barely comes up either, right? It's not really a Christian book. It's an American religious book, but it's not like that tent revival where he's praising God, praising Jesus. I mean, there's a little bit of that stuff, but it's not the focus at all. And so the going straight up to the, the symbol. The toy Jesus, right? Yeah, the toy Jesus, right? Yeah. Who walks on the water. I mean, that's really good stuff. It's really int- it, it feels very genuine. But even on the in the case of the one that I said was one of the better covers, where it's set in a red desert for some reason, um, the, the we've got the church with the steeple and the electrical uh, lightning hitting it. Uh, although it's a clear blue day for some reason. Um, and then we've got the uh, the telephone poles, which look like the cross. Right? It's like, but there's no people. There's no people. So the the people are the artists who are tasked with giving this book a cover and spend ten minutes of it. They read the back of the the PDF that you know what the cover, what the book's about, and they say, oh, it's about Christians. I'll get a church, and it's also about lightning. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, I wish that wasn't true, but I think you might be right. <laughs> I am. I mean, <laughs> if you look at it, it's just endless versions. There are some deluxe versions out there with, you know, beautiful interior art, but they're for the, you know, the diehard king collectors. Um, I, I'm just like, uh, I like pay, old paperbacks and pulp magazine covers. I don't need to spend 60, you know, $60,000 on a deluxe edition. I just want I just want a nice book cover. Make me want to read the book in the first place. I wouldn't have read this book at all had not Evan been pushing it. And he's pushing it using the magic words of Mackin and and the King and Lovecraft. You know, he knows the he knows the hooks to get you. Mm-hmm. There's actually another Lovecraft connection that I just I, I thought of when I was reading this again. Yeah. Um, where's the climax of the story? Hmm. It's up in the Catskills, right? Yeah. State of New York. Yeah. Which is Tempest oh. Mountain. Yeah, you were uh, thinking. Uh, I thought of fear. the Lurking Fear as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought the place. Uh, yeah. With a lot of weather, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So I was kind of imagining this is like the old. Uh, what's the name of that family? The yeah, Martens. The Martens' old mansion got repurposed into his mad scientist lair. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a resort, another economics, uh, politics <laughs> thing. And, 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 yeah, and, yeah, and resorts in the Catskills reminded me of my own own youth because there were commercials on on look on New York TV for the Nevoli, N E V L E, which was kind of and the pictures of it, it had this like weird tower thing, kind of almost. Kind of look like a cross between a pagoda and the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and this like this weird resort place. I never got to go there explicitly, but for a senior trip we went skiing. The only time I've ever been skiing, and that's a whole long story itself. But from our ski resort, I could see the Neveli across the valley. It's like, oh my god, I know what that is. <laughs> it, it, it gave me such weird joy to actually see the place after seeing on these commercials all these years. Did anybody uh, throw out their 
their uh, skiing pole and hit you in the throat? Um, no, but okay, I guess I'm going to tell you a story. So, okay, I had not been skiing well because I'd never been skiing before. I'm, I'm not very coordinated. I finally, toward the end of the day, finally started getting a groove and started actually understanding how I was, how I was doing well. So there I'm skiing down the mountain and up above on, the, you know, the gondola going up, a couple of people screaming out, hey, Paul! Because, you know, they're happy I was skiing. I look up, and next thing you know, I'm tumbling down the mountain. The ball. And then I stopped skiing after that. <laughs> uh, well, I, I speaking of Paul, I was thinking a lot about the names of the characters in this book. I was like, this guy, that name is not an accident. It's a lot of them like that. Um, did you guys think about that at all? I don't have a, a names list, but uh, there was a number I of people. Thought Jacobs was was, uh, was uh, I guess an allusion to the. WW Jacobs. Yeah, that that's that's possible, absolutely. Although, it, it, what's funny is I think that that story. But Daniel, we got Daniel, I guess. Yeah. If I was, if I read the Bible more, I might be able to. Oh, well, there's a lot of like uh, peripheral characters who show up, and you know they're in the story. Like even Astrid um, Soderbergh. There's a you know movie director. But more importantly, Astrid is um, uh, having to do with um, the stars, right, as well. Um, but uh, one of the images that I think is really important in this book, like if I was doing the cover, and, and I've seen some of the artists who do the interior art, they did it too. The thing is, is they, do, they I think, mostly make the fundamental mistake also of not putting people in the scene, right? If you're going to have a church... Um, getting struck by lightning in a you know telephone pole or whatever, um, you might want to put a guy like walking towards the church or uh, a family holding hands walking towards the church, right. or a, a person walking alone away from the graveyard where there's two fresh graves. You know, like um, you can do all sorts of things with putting a human figure in the for, not just for scale but for you know connecting to our realities. Um, but, uh, there's an image, uh, w which is the goat mountain slide thing, rock slide thing where you don't want to go too close to the edge and he doesn't, right? Um, and that pole is sticking, the rod is sticking out of the earth and it's being hit by lightning and it's changing colors from red to blue to purple, right? And, um, Evan, you remember uh, a book a long time ago we did back in 2019, Paul, you were on it too, called Wheeland by oh, Charles yeah, oh, Brockton oh, yes. Brown. Yeah. Oh, yes, or the transformation. Yes, I remember I remember the narrator being particularly enthusiastic during the entire performance. It's a good it's a good book. Um so uh Marissa, you'll be interested in this. This is uh arguably the first American novel. Yeah, because it's 1798. Um, and it's about a family that lives on the, uh, it's New York area, is it? I think it's New York area. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. New York. Um, and it's, it's in the wilderness, and there's a uh, ho family house, and then nearby, in walking distance, is a cliff. And on top of the cliff, the, fa the uh, head of the household, the father, has built a... Uh, a Stonehenge style um, 
worship like a pagan temple. Yes, a, a pagan temple mm-hmm. where he goes every was it twice daily to worship by himself, um, and then is struck by lightning. Um, oh, and that's oh. it's called Wieland. Wieland. W i e l a n d. It's by a guy named Charles Brockton Brown. Now the the book doesn't end up being wholly about <laughs> that. But no, that's just that's just really the prologue. It is the prologue, but it, it, it's a it's a, definitely a gothic. So it has this idea of of um, there's a secret, right? There's a secret that will be revealed. The thing is, is I don't think ultimately the revelation is connected to this this uh, opening of the of the that, father that being destroyed. Hold that time. That felt more teased. That like there's gonna be more. Uh, SFE then actually turns yes, out to and that opening turns so out to be. It, that that it could be and it, it is based on a true story which is also really interesting of a weird family and uh, the binding of Isaac you know that scene from the Bible you know that scene Marissa no I don't okay that's really funny because I have a student I had a student named Isaac and he didn't know where his name came from either but basically God says to uh, God says to uh, was it Jacob Abraham? No, oh, Abraham. Is it? A- You're right. It's Abraham. God says to Abraham, "Hey, uh, I, I hear you might not uh, believe in me 100." percent And he's like, "I totally believe in you, God." He says, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> and then Abraham says, "Yep." Are you sure? <laughs> I don't know about this. I'm going to test you. <laughs> and so he says, I- "I'd like you to take your son, bind him up, r- uh, tie him up." Take him to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him to me. Okay? Oh, I do know this story. Yeah, and then uh, he says, absolutely, God. And he's like, he ties his kid up and Isaac's like, what's going on, daddy? And and he drags him up the top of the mountain and puts him on this, you know, sacrificial stone. He's got the knife out. He's plunging it down towards towards um, the, Isaac's heart. And then God says, JK. <laughs> <laughs> And so I was like, like, oh, whoa, that'd be a crazy guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm not like those other gods you used to worship. I'm the nice god. You don't need to sacrifice to me. I just need you. I need you to believe in me. And he says, I totally did, God. Uh, I totally believed in you, God. Um, (laughs) So the fact that, you know, you go up to the top of a mountain and you, you know, worship uh, the sky god with his electrical bolts. Uh, there's something going on there. This is a, uh, it's something I don't think Jesus ever does himself. You know, go up to the top of a mountain. He usually goes into a cave and meditates or whatever, starves himself. But isn't well, like well, the devil does take him to a top of a mountain and tries he, to tempt him with the world. Uh, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe there's an electrical aspect to it. Um, but I, this I, stuff I, about I, the I, eels, I, that's all true, by the way. You know, the I think tre- the transfiguration's on a mountain too, Jesse. Is it? Interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a hill as well. <laughs> uh, Skull, uh, Skull Mountain. On the, on the hill. Yeah, but Skull Mountain, Golgotha, right? Oh. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bunch of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's... This, can I, this makes me think of uh, the, my favorite review that mm-hmm. I read on this book. Can I read it to you? Please. It's also related to the, like, how realistic this book is. Mm -hmm. Um, This is by Cynthia. I think that atheists and even agnostics should be terrified of this novel. 
<laughs> I don't believe their ever after will be anywhere near as easy as the ending to the story. It'll be so much more horrifying. The thought of spending eternity in bleakness, darkness, torture, and the absence of God should make them fall to their knees right now and beg for forgiveness <laughs> and for Christ to come into their heart. Wow. <laughs> well, um... Anyone on their knees? <laughs> did she Did she read the book? <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, that's such an interesting take on this novel. Like, it's just kind of amazing like, how you can read it like that. So I noticed a trend on, on Twitter. You know, some somebody comes in with a really hot take that's going to be super spicy. Um, mm-hmm. And some po- po- political thing or something. And then somebody's like, hey, and check out my Instagram. <laughs> Like they're just they're just oh. riding the uh, they're riding but they're not it's not the the spicy hot take and then the person realizes it becomes a hot take and it's it's taken off and they want you to visit their music site or whatever this is somebody else riding on the coattails and they just want to like be seen by thousands of of people who are looking at the comments and because oh, they said really? it first it's not the same person no no it's it's a completely different thing so it's like hey this latest stephen king book is out uh john 1112 or <laughs> just hold up the right. sign right <laughs> uh, the reason you're at the baseball game evan is not because you love baseball so much it's because you like to quote hold up bible verses for people to reform themselves when they're watching from home <laughs> <laughs> genesis 1-1 <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> I never once looked at what what people. What is it, John eleven eleven thirteen? There, no, it's John three sixteen. Three sixteen. Okay, I I never you looked those never up. Never actually looked up what John three sixteen says. No, I've looked it up before, but I forgot. Uh, okay, so, so you're not quoting from memory. Is this yeah, a popular? It. I, I found it. It, it's it's a popular thing at baseball games that people hold up John three sixteen. Oh, weird. And, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish right. but have eternal life. It's it's kind of like, uh, you know, how the Mormons send their kids off to uh, try and convert others. This is like for regular Christians. It's just a way of doing gospel, you know, a little bit on the side. You know, go to the baseball game, hold up the sign. I did my work for the day. Throw it away. Side hustle, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I assume. It's amazing. It's a way to quote unquote preach the word to the, because it's it said in it said in the Bible that you need to preach, uh, yeah, need to spread the word. So I was, so I was like, oh, checkbox. Yeah. It's like it's exactly what Jesse was just saying. It's like, oh, all your eyeballs are looking this way right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna jump out in front with my Instagram. <laughs> That's my right. It's photo bombing basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, I I think this is a pretty good book. I I still. I, I think we should we should probably do that N because that's even more Mackin, isn't it? You 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 convinced me to do this. I, one. I just read N. Yeah, I just read N. Oh, what what, what do you think? That's it's it's less Mackin. Okay, even less Mackin. Wow. But it's it's also it's also like King Griffin on Lovecraft. Hmm. It's it's a so it's a, the basic story is this guy goes to a, a I don't know some field he's a photographer so maybe yeah you know, mm-hmm. this goes to a field because he's taking pictures and then like things are like he sees like eight stones but in the photograph there's seven and anyways this experience leads him to have like a OCD 
Um, and so it's like, if you guys read like the music of Eric Zahn, mm-hmm. you know how like this guy has to play this music every night just to keep the, the Athathoth from breaking through? Yep. Something like that. Right? If he doesn't play this weird music every night, mm-hmm. uh, something horrible is going to break through. It's that, but it's o- OCD. So his OCD is basically to make the universe correct enough to stop something more horrible from happening. It's like a, he's like forced to do this after visiting this place. Um, and then it's, it's, a, it's basically a, all set in a psychiatrist's office. That is short, right? I don't know, two hours. Yeah, that's short compared to 14. Um, uh, I, I also want to point out that I don't think, I don't think uh, King has done any rereading since he was a kid because uh, this is not the best quote. Um, the uh, that is not dead, which shall uh, that can eternal lie, and with strange eons, even death may die. I don't think that that makes any sense to have at the beginning and and the end of this book. It's just something famous from Lovecraft, and it has yeah. death in it. I then it it was like Stephen King can work on his own; he doesn't need to have that there. But I guess he remembered it, and that that was useful. But I don't think it. It, I don't think it fits the end at all. It's just it's just Lovecraftian, right? Because that quote is is actually counter. Uh, well, maybe I mean maybe I'm misunderstanding the quote, but well, the quote is uh, is is about Cthulhu. Yeah, but but it's not really connected to Mother. It's it's that no, it's, it's an after. I guess so. Yeah, I, I felt this the same thing. It's uh, you know, I, like I I want to read more stuff into like the fact that Astrid turns out to be a lesbian, or maybe she's bi or oh, whatever. I would say bi- I would say bisexual because I mean, <laughs> it, it, I'm, I'm, I mean, she has male and female lovers both. So you know, yeah, but she was into this dude as a kid. She likes cigarettes more than anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, unfortunately, my, my uh, allergies and my disgust to cigarettes, I mean, blowing the so- smoke in the mouth, that description of that really made me nauseated. It, it wasn't sexy <laughs> for you? It was King, but oh, yeah. it's like, I don't eat this, please. This is disgusting. Um, there was a lot well, of... I just, I, what I loved about the Astrid character is how, you know, when you're aging, I mean, of course, people feel they're getting older and they yeah. might even see it in the mirror but it's not the same as like when you come back and see someone from high school yeah yeah you're like, hey wow. you're bald now right <laughs> you're you're super old yep. maybe you don't say it quite that way you got really fat <laughs> yeah the, 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 it's called out right? in this book yeah and like did i change that much it's i think there's a lot of great stuff here just on that experience yeah absolutely age. he's he's yeah. really good he's really talented can see why people read his and it, books. It's kind of depressing about it. It's like, especially, I really felt that with Astrid, because, you know, of course she was sick too, but just the description of her is like, oh, it's compared to how he remembered her. Right? A little downer. I think it's, um, it, there's some undercooked stuff though. So the fact that, um, like, he just doesn't deal with uh, the fact that she's gay now or bi or always was bi or whatever. That It's just a fact, right? Now, I have no problem with that. It's just 
there's a lot of stuff that is like the fact that his sister kisses him as he loves his mother. There's the, you know, there's the alcohol to hide uh, m- maybe uh, discomfort with the way things are. There's the heroin, right? There's there's all sorts of life pain, and he doesn't quite settle on a single philosophy uh, with regard to it. And I, I guess that's fine. But it's almost like if you had spent more time, I don't know, on it. I don't know how much time he spends. I, I assume he doesn't do a lot and a lot of revision. It could have been a, gr- a greater novel. It's a good novel, for sure. It's, it's, it's possible. I kind of like, though, that all that stuff was just in there just as part of the background life. Like That's what kind of made it feel like an autobiography of just like... Yeah, these are just the but things that are like the mother thing, your life. right? The the null mother, the you know what his visions of of his family and the cake and the aunt, right? Yeah. Uh, all that stuff is really good, but I don't feel like it pays off quite as well as it possibly could have. I didn't I say agree. I didn't walk away saying this is the house on the borderlands. I'm forever mind blown, right? I'm like, oh, this mm-hmm. is a good book, and Stephen King's so talented. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, this I think is the book I'm running. Yeah, this is the book I'm not running back to read over and over again. It's fine. I haven't read it twice. Oh, is, did it get better in the second read? Yeah, I think it was. I better the second read. Hmm. I saw a few reviews that said that actually. Oh, I wonder if there's um. Oh, you know what's funny well, is I, I I I still I still felt that. There were some parts that I was eager to get over with, mm. you know, because what I was drawn to when I first read it was was Jacob's. And so there's that long yeah. stretch after the terrible sermon where Jacob's is gone until you get to the the carnival. Yeah, that's definitely that drag. But uh, in doing I think the... that's why I like the novel so much at the beginning. I just thought Jacob's was such a wonderful villain and mm-hmm. so interested in his. You know, how he was presented. I, in doing the research for this, I did many, many, many searches. One of the searches, uh, one of the biggest problems is everybody wants to talk about the movie that is or isn't getting made of it. And so the, uh, to me, it's like, you know, way more obvious than anything else that most people don't read. They they are very interested in movies. Uh, the amount of ink spilled as to you know whether the movie's going to be made or not is way more <laughs> than all, of those. all the book reviews Uh-oh. right yeah i saw i didn't click on a single one but it was just like pages and pages i just of don't care about it but i have to wait the movie isn't going to be made that's right i uh, having to wade through that to find yeah. what is actually about the actual book the thing is is in a in a movie they'd have to cut down so much right to make anything like a semblance of a reasonable length movie. Um, but if you cut this book up and just look at certain scenes, like that opening scene is terrific. Um, the stuff at the, at the, um, uh, lightning rod, terrific, uh, stuff mm-hmm. at the end. The terrible sermon. You know, yeah. And like, it, you it, take it, like four life slices or five life slices, um, and compress the, uh, the time in between, like you know, I was I was uh, a heroin addict, and he saved me. <laughs> just compress that down to not a really really long chapter, but you know, uh, three pages. It could be like a lot tighter, and and have 
a bigger impact because I feel like the people who didn't like the ending as it is are thinking they were getting one thing and uh, they're being sold one thing and getting another. Um, but that's that thing. The thing I was being sold is is the as Evan says the back the mystery right. What's he gonna do? What? What's he so interested? Where is this electricity shit going? I was I was genuinely interested, and the thing is, is I don't think he's done any research, right? Other than you know, sit down on the typewriter, think about you know revival and electricity, and you know those guys on TV and fake surgeries. But he's using that electricity. Bradbury. Yeah, little Bradbury. He's using that electricity as sort of a uh, a magic spell. Right, it's the magic spell that, uh, or the resonator from from beyond. Right, it's just a way to get to the weird, the odd, the the behind the veil sort of thing. Um, and then there's all, all a little bit too much play on the term itself, revival. Like he's at one point he says um, <laughs> his brother's building a car in the garage and just like their dad did. Right, and he says you could say you're reviving it. I'm like, okay. Well, that's like, how many times does, yeah, but like, how many times does revival come up again? Uh, again and again. It's almost like he's playing to the title or he's saying, I'm telling the publishers what I'd like the title to be. Um, that's one word title, but the great god Pan, uh, what's so amazing about it is he doesn't show up in the book, right? <laughs> it's a metaphor. Whereas revival is, it, it literally has revivals going on. Like that lady is brought back to life, sort of. Right? I mean, a number of things are brought back to life, so. I, it's, yeah, I think if they were filming it, one way they would condense this, though, if yeah. they were to film this, is, is it actually was thrown by this, because I, I, in my memory of the novel, when the first time I read it, the letter about Astrid brings him to Tempest Mountain. Mm-hmm. And he stays there for the rest of the novel. They forgot about this. The Hawaii. Home yeah. And all that. But you could, you, I mean, the revival would be aspect. I, I think they'd also keep all the scenes where he's placing the gun in, in Jacob's hand and worrying about, like, that's very easy. Hollywood knows how to do those scenes. And that, I don't think that, the, you know, I have no problem with those, but I don't think it all fits together. The narrative of him writing it down, him telling it all to a doctor. Um, yeah. I'd probably watch a TV series about Jacob. Yeah, a one-season TV series based on this book would work. Yeah. Yeah. As long as I mean, it's not keep, too long. You keep everything. Yeah, six episodes. Wait, just do a one- Whatever. Fine. Six to nine episodes and be done. They'll fuck it up, though. So I'm okay. glad. I'll just read well, the book. You know, that's just Hollywood for you. Yeah. you know? That's why I didn't click on any of those links. Yeah, like, you don't need to. People are like, are they going to make it? Are they not? And I'm like, it's going to be disappointing anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. All this fan matter. casting already doing. Oh, my God. About it. Like a, like the director, like Flanagan, like dropped it. That's yeah. But it's not me. Yeah. I don't care. Um, what I will mention is in one of the reviews i was looking up um it was paired this book was paired with the troop which is an upcoming show it had no connection other than the guy who uh suggested the troop to me um is a big king fan 
so uh, we'll we'll find out if there's any. Uh, I I think that one's not. <laughs> there's no electrical aspect to it, but we'll see. It's a. It, it, you guys classify this as a horror book at all, or is it a weird fiction? What, what do you think? Weird fiction. Yeah, I think it's more weird fiction. It, than, it, it, it doesn't go enough some, into the horror to be. There's some horror scenes, horror. I guess. You know, like the the lady's face being half on the dashboard or whatever it is. And no, that that, that that's that's splatter punk. Yeah, and that was rather visceral. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's somewhat hard to classify horror sometimes. You know it in films usually, but. Um, I think the troop is even more horror based. I don't know. We'll find out. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio. Evan, how's your VPN this morning? Good. Good. I haven't had many VPN problems for the last eight months or so. The only good thing about this year. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. Like last year, every couple weeks, I'd have to, they'd have to like, yeah. Take some block that the Chinese put on. Wow. Makes sense. Um, we were going to have uh, Jim Moon, but he is down with uh, the 1918 plague instead of the 2019 plague. <laughs> well, that's not good. Yeah, he's got uh, no voice. It happens to him a lot. I, I don't know if he's particularly subject to infection, but... Um, if you listen to his podcast regularly, he's often suffering voice problems, which is a difficult thing for a guy who puts out so many podcasts. Yeah, it's like a strike at your livelihood. Yeah. Um, I mean, does he have to deal with a lot of people in his I life? Like, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I used to have a lot of students that would make me sick, but uh, I, I there aren't that many shows where my voice is wrecked by disease. Mm. But it seems to happen to him on, you know, a more than regular basis. I don't know. I, he needs uh, some electrical stimulation. I can't remember what it's like to be sick anymore. So um, that's going to be weird when it happens again. It's going to be Indeed. quite a shock. <laughs> I got sick once when school started back up. I think oh, yeah. Once. It wasn't COVID? I Pretty sure it wasn't COVID. Yeah, I mean they check our, they still check our temperature whenever we come into campus. I just, wa- I just um, read a I guess, comment. Isn't, isn't fever like a pretty reliable symptom of COVID? I would guess. Like even people without other symptoms, they tend to have fevers. I, I never registered one. I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, start- I had a fever just from the vaccination. So yeah. I just started a comic. Um, you know, first issues out, and uh, it's like. I think it's like basically uh, aliens destroying the earth or something. And at the at the beginning of the assembling of the characters, somebody's got one of those thermometers monitoring their head because it's set in contemporary times. And I'm like, <laughs> so they're ending the world and 
Everybody in the world is going to die, but not from coronavirus. It's going to be ending from from whatever aliens manipulating the uh, Earth's atmosphere or whatever. And uh, I don't I don't think that that will uh, make any sense in ten years. I mean, it'll just it'll it'll be like a weird anachronism. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, right. So, um, yeah, Connor wanted to be on, but it's wrong time of day for him. Jim not available. So it's Marissa, Evan, and Paul. Um, you guys want to do a show? Sure. Fancy time revival, even. Um, yeah, I mean, unless there's some, some, oh, yeah, maybe Evan wants to stir the pot on, uh, on the China Hugo nominations or why do I know about the China thing that much Paul might know something about Hugo is going to China oh oh, you're talking about the Chengdu World Con bid in 2023 that sounds right yeah um well given given the other recent fandom drama that's kind of not on anybody's radar at the moment too far down the road. <laughs> there's there's much bigger drama right now. This Maybe you know more about this drama. I was trying to get the answer on your feed. It seemed kind of a non... Like, it didn't seem very... Like, the, you look at... Go watch a movie. You got all those people that made the movie, right? Yeah. It's not like they're not all allowed to stage on the Oscars. I think it's pretty normal that representative groups go to the awards ceremony and go on stage. Well, well yes. Cater doesn't get the stage time. Has 90 producers, 90 the, co-producers. The, 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 the thing about what's happening here is the original... So, back in... Back early this year, the Worldcon said, oh, you can only have a certain number of people listed as nominees on our s- slides when we have a list of nominees. And people thought, well, that's BS. And well, I, I don't see why that's BS on this... I've never planned a conference, but I I was kind of adjacent to it. And, you know, there are, like, limited seats, and there's um, the, 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 fire hazards of how many people are allowed the, the, in a room. The, 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 this, this wasn't even people in the building. This was listed on the slides when we put out the slides for nominees. They decided. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and so people, people had conniptions about this. And the... Hugo administrative team resigned in January over all the connections. So the new team says, fine, great. We're, 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 we're going to do better. We're going to communicate better with nominees. We're going to have open lines of communication so we don't have any of these problems ever again as far as what we expect from nominees and all this other stuff. Jump forward jump forward to recently where they suddenly decide to say, where this suddenly is... Uh, drama over how many people can be in the building and lots of nominee group people who are multiple who says well you never actually did what you said to actually talk to us about us you decided to do this ex cathedera and ex, ex cathedera what's that from mean? the chair as is like okay so so they said well we were, yeah they never should have promised that in the first place it's a stupid promise to make so, so, I mean, so to, hey, to check up on all the nominees for every little decision during the planning process, it's ridiculous. That's why well, we have committees that do these things. Well, the Worldcon's setup is kind of is antiquated for its age, shall we say? So, so naturally, lots of nominees said, "Well, you 
you said we were going to work together on this so we wouldn't have problems again, and you outright lied, and we're not happy about this. And as a result, that a second Hugo administrator, ComCon, has resigned. And then, of course, the chair of Worldcon has resigned. And I feel like... Yeah, so there's a... And, on and they, both sides, everyone is just fucking nuts. <laughs> there was a, there was a stunning lack of communication and entrenchment and privilege and all sorts of things that are just causing people to just shout at each other. It it's like the puppies all over fucking again, and I had enough of that years ago. I, yeah, I, I, I haven't read too much about it, but it feels like oh, it feels like the Worldcon committees and stuff are kind of full of like ourselves and people not doing what they said they'd do, but also the expectations and stuff on the other side and kind of like, I don't know where people get these expectations from. I, I've never dealt with, I guess I have a really low bar for like how people do <laughs> things. Like, like what? They, you know, so, I, I, I mean, I mean, the thing, the thing is Worldcon and the Hugo and the Hugos represent science fiction in a way that they themselves say, Oh no, we don't. We're just this award. We're just these people who put on this this convention and give out this award. It's ours, and that's true, absolutely true. On the other hand, if you ask any random person on the street about science fiction awards, the only one ninety nine hundred fifty out of a thousand people are going to name is a Hugo if they can name one at all. I don't think they can. So, <laughs> I mean, if anyone. If, 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 if you ask a random person on the street. Yeah. So, so the Hugo. So is the problem that it's just like a communication problem, like the Hugo's committee are not communicating with the fans enough or the right, the, the, the nominees the, enough. The nominees. Yes. Because they never asked, they haven't asked because as a not double nominee, I've never gotten any emails from them saying, are you attending? Are you attending? Attend? They're not, they're not doing any of the basic stuff. You think a committee, or convention would do to see okay how many people are actually attending so maybe what do we need to do to make this why is it like this <laughs> um <laughs> it's because so it's crazy. a cherry because it, okay the reason why it's really like this here's why the strength and weakness of Worldcon and the hugos is that it gets reinvented every year by the next convention there are there is a very very thin constitution from the World Science Fiction Society on how he goes and how work on has to run. So every convention, every year since it's in a different place, basically they can look at previous stuff, but basically they reinvent the wheel every year. And and as World Cons have gotten bigger, this has become harder and harder. Mm. I mean, back when there was 200 fans in a ballroom in Philadelphia in the 1960s, it's... That's not so bad. Now, when it's five thousand fans in DC, it's a trying to reinvent everything from scratch every year. That's, of course, there's going to be fucking problems. Pardon my language. Um, I yeah. I can't pardon your language, but I, I've been desperately trying to cancel you, but for using the word conniption, but I can't find any evidence that it's it's cancelable. So, you keep talking, so, Paul, and I'll find something. <laughs> but, I think I do feel that some level of fans are a little entitled. 
Oh, those entitlements <laughs> everywhere in science fiction fandom. Are yeah. you kidding? I, I want, I think, less of that. I, yeah, I guess that's I what. <laughs> the fans, the fan cast being having their nominations. But yeah, maybe, I, I don't that's know. What, if that maybe started it, I, I don't know. I, I, I think. I, 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 I mean, there's also got to be. We don't have a window into. There has to be other problems going on within the convention committees to basically formulate these things and have these decisions come out so badly, but that's an that's opaque and beyond yeah. the wall. We don't know what's going on in there, but there's yeah. clearly things going wrong with this convention that we can't see. Yeah, I think that's the problem. And when you see it on Twitter, like, I, d- I don't read too much of that stuff because it breaks my brain when I see all these, like, scandals and stuff. But, um, you know, you're seeing the two extremes. You know, you're seeing, like, these the people who are screaming at each other. I'm sure there's, like, a whole, like... <laughs> Like totally reasonable discussion that should be happening in the and, middle. And, of and, and, and there is a major, major former Hugo winning science fiction fandom site, I guess for back of a better word, who are some of the members are not being helpful in this discussion, shall we say? Hey, how dare right. you? I, I assume you're talking about me, but probably not. No, I'm not talking about <laughs> you, Jesse. I'm talking about File Seven Seventy. Uh, oh, really? Okay. Yes, where, where we have members saying, "Oh, maybe we should just." not have fandom categories anymore and that would solve the problem it's like yeah that's really not helpful. i don't know if that would solve the problem because the cat's kind of out of the bag yeah it it it, 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 it i the, actually the reset where we're going to create in I wrote, the first place i wrote a piece this morning i don't know where it'll get published if it can get published which takes a look at an old science fiction short story and ties to the events of today. A short story that nobody remembers but me, I think. What's the name of it? It's um, The World Science Convention of 1980 by Ian Watson. Uh, Maybe you mentioned that on a tweet recently. I may have mentioned it in a tweet or on a podcast. It's basically post-collapse of some kind, nuclear, nuclear, I think. The World Science Fiction Convention is being held in Boston, in the village of New Boston, where 400 souls have traveled across the world to be there. And it's a very much a nostalgia for the way things used to be. And this is now things are great because we have science fiction again. And it sounds like, like a very much insular, like taking back science fiction from those who shouldn't have it just for the real fans. And I thought, well, God, that feels like 2021 to me. Hmm. So, yeah, th- th- there's a lot of who science fiction belongs to and who science fiction is for and who is in fandom that came up with the puppies because the puppies wanted to drag science fiction back to the 1950s. It's like, that's the real science fiction. And this modern science fiction day with women writing and people who have pronouns is all bad. And now we have here, we have old guards and people trying to get into science fiction fandom and people shouting and yelling at each other without any sort of communication and doing it all again. It's just the sides are definitely this time. But it's the same sort of yeah. fighting over it, fandom. There's a lot of fighting and weird stuff because I, I mean, I only started like learning about all these conferences a few years ago. Before that, I only really cared about like who won, who, like what are the stories I should read. I was mm-hmm. like on the outside of it, and then now, I guess that I've been on Twitter more. <laughs> you start seeing all this like fighting, and yeah. every conversation about this, these cons and stuff, just seems so like insane. Like, I don't know why the conferences aren't listening to people and just doing stuff, and I also don't know why people are screaming and not... Uh, I mean, th- th- this is a lot of old guard news guard 
crap going yeah. on in Worldcon. I mean, we saw that last year with George R. R. Martin and his um his presentation, shall we say, and how terrible that was. Yeah. So objectively they, they terrible. <laughs> objectively terrible. Let me just say objectively. Uh, we've done peer reviewed studies. Like... <laughs> we spent more time talking about the history of science fiction and figures whose history and nature are questionable at best and completely ignore all the new stuff that came out this year that you're actually supposed to be celebrating you're doing it wrong sorry george exactly. you're doing it wrong that was terrible like i can't even believe that happened i can't believe this little isn't like some crazy like tv show so yeah that's that's what's going on in science fiction these days so yeah the whole chengdu china Wokan bit is no one's caring about that right now evan I mean, don't get voted yeah. on in December, and oh God, that's 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 going to be a well. A problem is with the Wokan being held in the, in December rather than August. That gives the 2023 bid even less time than they normally do. Whoever wins it, be Chengdu, Memphis, or Winnipeg, to get their act together than they normally would. They they lose month so that. So this, we're setting up for future badness and for people to re, have to reinvent the wheel again on short notice. But this is the way Worldcon is. It's the way it's always been. It's a loose organization, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> it's always been. This is the way we set it up to purposely. Changing Worldcon and the Hugos is immensely difficult. I mean, the efforts to change how voting works to stop the puppies took more than two years of effort and two votes to actually make happen. So it's purposely sand in the gears it makes it makes the u.s congress seem positively fast blowing by <laughs> uh, so, one of the tweets i sent to uh evan um was uh a screenshot from captain phillips uh you know that movie with tom hanks playing a captain uh in gulf of aden yeah it's based on a true incident um, the, the title of the tweet is Worldcon 2023 is going to be lit. And then you see Captain Phillips, uh, <laughs> on the left and, uh, it says rainbow hairs and boomer progs. I don't know what a prog is. P R O G. Um, and then, oh, programmers. I don't know. Um, and then on the right, is, it could be. Um, and then on the right is the pirate guy, the, uh, Ethiopian pirate character who's like you listen to me or whatever if you remember the movie and he says or his name is 1.4 billion chinese supporting worldcon memberships and then the next tweet down is imagine going to worldcon and dying in a chinese prison for cosplaying winnie the pooh <laughs> like yeah <laughs> things can go wrong that's that's what's so funny I think right there's, there's several reasons you don't want to put worldcon in, in china just, 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 just like, just like the, there was a, a thought to have a bid in Saudi Arabia, but it would just totally change things, like, yeah, right? Yeah, no. Well, yeah, but if or world there'd be fewer people, we wouldn't have to worry about the seating. But I, I mean, how, theoretically, if if ten thousand Chinese citizens, ten thousand Worldcon, what Worldcon memberships this year, and then voted for Chengdu to be Worldcon in twenty twenty three, it would win. Period. End of story. Because they would just swamp the voting. Yeah, that could that could that that could happen. But the the, the thing is, is if you if you can't go to Saudi Arabia and you can't go to China, um, it ends up you know New Zealand, Australia, Canada, UK, 
<laughs> batting around there. Is it really a quote unquote world con? Well, no. And, and 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 lots of people and lots of people, especially the people on the ones the one side you think what kind of saying point out. Yeah, it's not fucking world con if it's the U.S. every other year and maybe sometimes the U.K. or something. UK. If the baseball lucky. World Series is Canada and the United world States. Series, yeah, they, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know, there's not that many other countries that play baseball. That's true. Well, Japan, Japan, Japan. Dominican Republic, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Cuba, and some yes, Latin Venezuela, yeah, Cuba. Cuba. Yeah. I mean, I would there's a lot the more. Stick on a Japanese team. That would be fun. But you gotta, if you ever watch a baseball team, you know they're they're fairly well represented, at least the Latin American countries. But, and one of the hottest players right now is, is Japanese pitcher who can also hit home runs. Yeah, he, Otani. He's yeah, played for the A's. Yeah, he's like, he's like a latter day Babe Ruth that way. Yeah, they, they commonly uh, get players from Japan and Korea. So, so, so World, yeah, so WorldCon is definitely a very parochial institution, and my friends mm-hmm. who are outside the United States and the UK. Point, point to say, like, yeah, that's not really the world, guys. And are they, is there ever, like, talks about changing that? Or is it just so stuck in its, like, um, little repeating they, they, pattern? This is the change, because some years ago they decided to change to make it that you could have Worldcon outside the U.S. every three years. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, I know. You should, like, <laughs> whoever got the most votes, and so it was this U.S. year after year. Yeah, now it's a minimum of once every three years. It's outside the U.S. I so see. yeah, I, I, I know real concession there. I guess my position on this is the same as the Olympics. It should just be one place that everyone goes to, like its own island, its own country. Like I, I think the Olympics, the original <laughs> like Greek Olympics, I, I, always or, or, I think they should or, always be in Athens. Yeah, or, or, that would be so cool. <laughs> or I, I, or I think the better model is like Dragon Con or Gen Con, and then I mean, World Con can always be in I don't know Luxembourg or something. I mean, I mean, if you get six thousand people every five six thousand people every year, reinventing the wheel is yeah. not sustainable. This is what World Con is. People make bids and they try to and they do it every year and it gets moved around and they gotta basically. They can look at past stuff, but they basically got to start from scratch every year. And when wow. it was a few fans, that's fine. But now, now it's a huge production, and the, the, the cracks are showing, guys. And people, a lot of people, lots of the old guard do not want to see this because they think Warcon is as it is and always should be, and should never change. And it's the, the fault of the people who want to come in. And that, that's kind of like the theme of that story I told you about. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Gets me, it gets me. It gets me annoyed. Well, we got your it, blood boiling, anyways. That's good. It makes it gets you annoyed. It makes me exhausted. Like that's why I don't read a lot of the tweets and the the rants and stuff because like it seems so freaking exhausting and it is, it is. It is exhausting. We should just make a new. And some of the people on the other side say, "Well, yeah, if you don't like Wokan, just make your own." Ha ha. See how well that goes. But the derision, like, "Oh yeah, that'll never happen." So the new conference is great. Like Firecon is awesome. So 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 there's there's lots of derision and uh, snarkiness on the one side. Like yeah yeah we have work on and we don't have to change. And if you don't like it, go take your ball elsewhere. In the meantime, the cracks keep showing. I mean, I I get the feeling that some some people work on would be happy with. Oh yeah, if it's only three hundred people in a ballroom having 
yeah, with dinner every year, and they're, they're true fans, so they can have Worldcon again. I get the feeling there are fans who like it that way, which is the point of that short story. It's like, no. Well, I guess there are also the people. Yeah. yeah, it's everybody, not just for a few hundred people. I'm sure those 300 people are also the ones with the money to like travel around the, you know, around the yes. world or wherever to conferences yeah, it's, and it's stuff as well. Amazing privilege in that. Yeah. So, oh God. Jesse, you put the didn't put the quarter in me. You put in the full silver dollar. You know, I, I mean, I I triggered uh, Evan with the baseball thing too. Uh, my next for my next trick, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you just you just hint hint at baseball, and he's all excited. Um, <laughs> now uh, for my next trick, I will trigger Marissa talking about VR sickness. VR sickness. Yeah, we had. Uh, I was show noting um, last week uh, a show from seven months ago. And uh, Kat uh, Russell, is that her name, Paul? What's her name? Yes. Yeah, Kat Russell uh, was going to join us for the show, but couldn't because she had VR sickness. Have you ever had that? Is it like car sickness? Or is I, it yeah, I think it, it is. It's like when you're playing a game and the motion makes you feel I sick. Have, yeah, I have had that when I played Skyrim because that game it wasn't built for VR and they completed uh-huh. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the moving... So you- of your like moving forward and your body not moving forward and it being yeah, totally like, immersive. It, sli- yeah. it slides you forward in this like totally disgusting way of you yeah. just like pulled through the world. That's yeah, that's creepy. I used to I used to have it with some computer games, but they've got you know the first person shooters, but they've got um, compensatory methods somehow to make it not happen very yeah. much. I don't know. I had a friend that came around to play some games, and he he got really sick. Like he he had to go out for air and had to leave because mm. he just was not feeling good. And um, I think it was it was an older game, and the mm. camera was quite low to the floor. So like, mm. I know that the higher the camera is, um, the the less sickness you feel. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't as triggering as I, I'd like. Uh, I'll have to think of something uh, more. How about this? Yeah. How about this? I, I I was I'm I'm getting triggered myself. Um, I went looking for covers for this book and I couldn't find any good ones. Um, but I I then uh, this morning maybe we should start the show. I was just talking. I, I was like thinking about you know this is like a major author and they put this cover on this book. I was like imagine if they if they tried to market a movie this way. And this fucking shitty poster up and say, "Hey, director, the name of the top, <laughs> name of the book." Overall, like the King cover, like who has the King cover now? Scribner, Scribner, Scribner's, yeah. They've been reprinting paperbacks of all of his books with the most god awful covers. Oh, yeah. I have quite a few of them because you know I was buying all his books a few years ago. But like the cover for like it is just like. Found smile, <laughs> and then it's like white book. Minimalist covers, yeah. And then yeah. you got the eyes of the was it the, the or the cycle of the werewolf is like two eyes. They're like the werewolf eyes, and it's like no, there's no creativity, no artisticness to it. It's just that that very minimal. I guess that's the trendy thing now. Oh, you get no sense of what, but so to compare I, that like to the the old Pet Cemetery cover, like the original paperback to Pet Cemetery. Yeah. I got that. Which is beautiful. Like, really nasty it's looking cat. Like painted. Kissing into the into your face when you look at it. It's wonderful. Or Roadwork or any of the early Bachman books. Yeah. They're, they're really yeah. 
Great. And there was a, a YouTube video I sent you a few months ago where someone was like an artist. Yeah, I saw that. The decline of, of kind of cover art and how in the 80s oh, you yeah. memorable cover art. I can maybe find that video again. Yeah. I think, um, is it the one you sent me as well, JC? Uh, I probably did, With yeah. The horror? Yeah. It was like you yeah. cannot tell a horror cover from yeah. a regular cover. Yeah, that's the one. Evan sent that to me. I sent it to you. So the, I didn't get anything. Uh, last night, wow, uh, you're busy fighting the fight. Um, in the yeah, text chat yeah, here. You probably want me to leave you out of most stuff I send. No, I don't. I barely. Uh, yeah, you oh, probably do. Uh, no, no, it's not mostly politics. I mean, some of it is, but. Um, uh, I just uh, sent to the group chat the two uh, tweets. One was uh, just a regular cover, but I also said, you know, of the 22 different publishers and printings of Stephen King's revival, I could find this is the best cover. It's pretty bad. The story is not set in a red desert. How fucked up is the book industry for a major author they can get away with such lame-ass covers? It's like, that that could be like a Death Valley or something, right? And there's a church... Wait, where is this? It's I don't in the mind text the one with the, with the carnival tent and the lightning bolt. That one's See, that one's better, better but there's no humans in it. It's just yeah, it's so it's, stupid. But then, um, um, can you get in the what? text chat? Yeah, I see it. Okay, and then the other one uh, of that of that uh, in there, uh, I said, you know, uh, or somebody quote tweeted me or something, and uh, and I was like. Uh, the only exception to this is Hard Case Crime, who do great covers, and and they were they came back and said, uh, oh well, the Billy Summers cover looks pretty strong, and I'm like, um, which one do you mean? Because these two fucking suck, and this third one is okay, like it's a painted cover, but it's not it's it's not it's not yeah, English. The Joyland one is wonderful. Joyland's terrific, and even the later is good. It's it's wasting a lot yeah. of space on the cover, but it's it's still painted. This um, stuff, uh, this one hundred percent triggers me. This makes me so mad. <laughs> right, and like, and the thing is, is I, like imagine they try to market you know Pulp Fiction with like a minimalist cover. It's like got a book on the cover or something. Yeah, that's so bullshit. It just it makes me so mad for the authors as well who put so much work into the stories and then someone slaps like a bullshit easy cover it's expensive to buy a painting i get it but your fucking billion dollar industry selling a the most popular author on the fucking entire planet and he can't put like half-assed 10 minutes into the cover so many artists yeah like you don't have to go like it doesn't have to be like the best of the best artists there are so many good artists who are starting out and doing like did you you know the comics books industry what they do is they, they get one comic and they make like 15 different covers, right? Tons of different covers, right? There's the A co- cover, the B cover, this, this special exclusive. And the reason they do that is people buy multiple copies of the same goddamn comic to get them all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that it's, cr- it's, it's gone crazy the other way because I don't care that much about the covers. And here I am complaining. But if I have a choice of six, if I have a choice of six in the bookstore, different covers, I'll pick the one I like. Yeah, there's a um, there's a new science fiction magazine called Dark Matter, and they do this really clever marketing thing that totally gets me. <laughs> like, um, 
they put out the same magazine with three different covers. Right, like, there you go. And two of them are slightly less. Uh, there's only like a limited number of them, and they're slightly cooler covers. And I'll pay, I pay the extra dollars to get the of course. covers that I like. Like, I'm just like, yep, I'm going to give you more money for that, like more unusual, cooler looking cover. <laughs> so if you if you go to like uh, Google and you type in, uh, you know, Batman variant cover, you'll get like the same cover like six times. If it's a if it's a new comic starting up, they usually do like two or three. Um, if it's a major, you know, uh, like the French adaptations of Robert E. Howard ones, they'll have like four or five or six different covers. And like mm-hmm. the the stores pay a premium to get like. Uh, an extra cover. It's like, why aren't they doing that? It's not like the technology is incredibly different. The entire in, inner contents of the book are identical. And yeah. they're on a different kind of piece of paper, right? So it's not like, you know, integrating it would be hard. It's like at the factory, when you're slapping the books together, you have like a stack of one cover and a stack of another cover. I, they did this for Harry Potter, yeah. right? So why the fuck... Can't we do this for, like, what a fucking retarded industry have we got here? That they can't get I their shit no together. I like, it, it blows my mind every time. Like, when I see, like, these shitty covers and the lack of interest in putting nice covers on books when... It's, it, does it all come from that thing, like, don't judge a book from its cover, that stupid saying that, like, people take seriously, and it's like, but we do judge books by their covers. Humans like, are a visual species, goddammit. Yeah, just because you have that saying doesn't mean that we don't freaking, like, care about covers. It's, <laughs> so, 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 so I'll, give you, I'll give you a concrete example. So this is about nine years ago. Oh, God, it's been nine. Nine years ago, I was shown a cover for a book. I thought... Ooh, I want to know more about this book. I want to know more about this author. Read, read the blurb. Like, okay, this is interesting. This is told me. I want to read this book because of the cover. It had this kind of, um, I forgot who, 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 um, who, who's the painter that did like, um, the, 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 the empire cycle from the 19th century. And it kind of, it was, it's, it's Stephen Martinary cover and it shows this like classical city and figure in the front and it, has this very polished, interesting look. I was like, I want to know where that's sitting, who that person is, and why they are there. That cover sold me mm-hmm. and turned me onto a new author's work. So it works, damn it. Yeah. If it was a like crappy just, cover, I never would have picked it up. Literally in the last like week, I bought a copy of um, House on the Borderlands because I wanted a paperback yeah. version of it. And then I saw a door one with the better cover, and so I bought that one. As well, and gave away the first one I'd bought yeah. like a week ago. Cause I mean, I'm, why wouldn't you? I, I really freaking care about the cover. I really, that really matters to me. I'll buy the book twice if I can get a better cover. I'm going to put a, this is a cover from, uh, you know, the 70s, I guess. Um, this got turned in, maybe it was early 80s, it got turned into a movie starring. Uh, oh, God. Um, cover. <laughs> yeah. What the hell is this? It's called Too Much. It got turned into a movie with Antonio Banderas and Melanie Griffith <laughs> and uh, Daryl Hannah. Um, and so you can see uh, from the cover there who's playing who, right? Um, but get this. The title there, Too Much, is fuzzy. Like you run your hand over the cover and you can feel the fuzz of the title. And the oh. the bikinis are fuzzy, 
right? But get this. If you take an eraser and you erase the fuzzy over their bikinis, they're naked underneath. No way! (laughs) This is... You can scrape off the fuzzy and you get uh, the original painting. That is a marketing little thing that makes you, like, just, just pick it up. And that was not, like, incredibly odd. That was normal. That, you know, you'd have, like, a good paperback cover. Paperback covers are generally designed better than hardcover covers. They have been since the, you know, the industry really took off. And, uh, what went wrong? What the fuck went wrong? Yeah, who is responsible, like... Let's round these people up and kick them out. They are like they, I might find this, this this cover for you. Oh yeah, this one. I, I love this. This is a uh, uh, James Baldwin's because my parents had this book. I saw it when I was going through their books one day. James Baldwin's Another Country, which is like high literature, right? Mm-hmm. It's like good stuff. This cover. I think it's pretty awesome. Yep. Oh, it's right. got it's got that same sort of seventies style to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you you know when you read it now, it's is it's, that the triborough kind of bridge? Kind of thing you get from reading it in a college novels course or something, you know. But it's also the typography as well. Like the in old books, like the typography is so freaking nice. And now, like you look at that Stephen King revival one, it's like. Uh, did you read the paper? The of, paper. Uh, you're saying the typography uh, of the title of the cover or the yeah. book inside? No, of the cover. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Of the, the style of the letters that they use like now is so boring. Mm-hmm. It is. I'm I'm trying to find a picture of the the too much with the fuzz taken off, but I'm not having much luck. Well, <laughs> but I found this book because I because I knew another country. Um. I'm like, wow, this is an amazing cover. But I was wondering, did my parents buy this because they wanted, like, for the time they wanted to be woke? They're like, oh, James Baldwin, that cunning edge, African-American writer. Got all these, like, wonderful ideas that intersect with the civil rights movement. Got to read that. Or is it like, ooh, I think they're going to (laughs) bang. When they, what you said, when the time they wanted to be woke. (laughs) yeah hey we're we're in the period of time in our lives where we're we're relatively stable now we can be woke now um i'm finding lots of great uh westlake covers but i'll have to more seriously search for it later i actually have a copy of it somewhere i think but i don't i don't think i took the fuzz off but i i did read about it and maybe see it it's exciting. It's funny stuff. All right. So, shall we do a um, podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Now that you've done your, your morning rounds of getting everyone triggered. Yeah, yeah. Got to trigger everybody. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> yeah, see, it kind of worked. I, 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 my, my first one for Marissa didn't work, but the second one triggered her. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Paul, will you record on your end? I will record on my end. All right. Um, I've got... Uh, oh, I made, a, I made a tiny little note. 
Uh, and I couldn't, I kept forgetting the note I wanted to make, so I'm going to make that now. There we go. All right, here we go. Uh, Jesse, uh, Paul, Evan, Marissa? No. Jesse, Paul, oh, Marissa, Evan. There we go.